things are down, try to reach out to ev- any, everyone else and where in that they region. In Turkey? In an area called Hatay, Hatay. Uh, on the Mediterranean, eastern side Sorry. of the Mediterranean. <coughs> and where, where was the biggest hit in Turkey? Where, where was the main epicenter? It was very close to that area. Fairly so close. Right? Yeah, kind of at the border bet- between Syria and Turkey, eastern side of the Mediterranean. There were 10 cities that were heavily hit um, in Turkey by this 14 million people that kind of really? in two minutes left, uh, lost their homes. 14 million. 14 million. Yeah. <coughs> um, okay, so your dad sent this. What, what was your next thing? Did you call him or what was um, your response? Yeah, we tried to, you know, big family, they live all over. So different people trying to reach and Anyways, you know, in the evening we realized like, okay, this is a a big deal because there were many other follow-up earthquakes that happened after he had said we're fine and we couldn't get in touch with them anymore. And we read that, you know, the aftershocks were why the buildings were collapsing. You know, the first earthquake made everything weak, but then then the follow-ups, the small uh, aftershocks. So you could not be sure even (coughs) after. Definitely not. No, no. Um, but then anyway, we went to bed yeah, on Sunday, on Monday night, right in Riyadh. Uh, I didn't really know. Um, no, we, we had planned to sleep and wake up and go back to the expo with, with Arno. And, uh, uh, but at two in the morning, he checked my phone. There's a flight to Istanbul. And we're like, okay, if I start now, the trip is going to take 20 hours to get there. No one knows if the roads are open or, you know, there's complete blackout in that region. Anyway, I, <coughs> I decide to book a ticket. I drop I know, a message that, sorry, you're on your own <laughs> in Riyadh. Uh, and then I start the journey down and, there. And your objective was, I, I need to be here for my family. I need to help everything go yeah, on. I'm it, safe, so I need to go there. I don't know who's safe. I need to, Yeah, we, we need, need to, to get work. them out. We need to get them out. I mean, there's no, uh, what we know is that <clears throat> There's no uh, electricity, no water. Um, no one can stay at home. Everyone is sleeping on the street. The there's a snowstorm that hit the whole yeah, country. At the same time. Really? At yeah, the they same were time. like, uh, you know, it was the most horrible conditions. Um, and what happened to your family's house? Was it destroyed as well? Or? No, it was. Their building survived. Now we learned that they are going to take it down. It's it structural was, damages, yeah, but it didn't fall down. It didn't fall down. My aunt's house fell down. <clears throat> but they were rescued. So they moved uh, to some other location then, or what happened? So, uh, I mean, everyone that could leave uh, had friends or family in other cities. They did that. So that was a lot of people, you know, that, that type of culture is very family driven. You take care of your family and you find the relatives <coughs> in a safe place as close as possible, in yeah. a way, yeah? So... Um, <coughs> We moved um, my parents to Istanbul, my aunts to some other cities, and <clears throat> but people who didn't have anyone or people who didn't really want to leave, yeah. uh, which is the majority, were, are now staying in uh, cam- you know, re- uh, camps or schools or they're building a lot of those houses that are uh, very temporary. A lot of people don't really know what's happening, what's going to happen. A lot of people are still in denial, you know, <laughs> You know, I talked with my elder uh, uncle, and he was like, "I knew his building had collapsed, and he, I, um, 
when I met him, he said, I said, oh, you have to get in a car and leave. Like, you can't stay here. There's nothing here for you. And he was like, but let me, uh, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to go up and get this thing. And like their building isn't there anymore, but, but you can really experience the, 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 the limits of human psychology, survival, adaptation, <clears throat> you know, in a situation like that. It's, it's quite remarkable. And of course, how people come together to, right, to support the each other. Can bring people together <coughs> sometimes, right? It's a huge reminder of, yeah. you know, for someone in our situation, when I went down, I realized how meaningless the problems we talk about are and the things that make us worried every day and how we get annoyed with small things when uh, in reality, you know, the roof above our head can disappear in, in yeah. a minute. Like we take it for granted, but it's if we can fi figure out how to be grateful for the things we have, <coughs> we could live a much happier life. Yeah. We don't give credit, I guess, to the luxury we normally do have and, and don't really recognize that it is a luxury until you know, something like this happens, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So what did you do when you came down there? Did you find your parents quickly? And Yeah. By the time <coughs> we arrived, it was three in the morning. The government had sent out those very cool technology, those cars, mm -hmm. um, like pickup trucks <clears throat> that have everything and you know, all telecommunication systems in the car, Oof. powered by the car. So you have a moving <coughs> uh, mobile tower almost. Exactly. That, that gives you, uh, you know, 4G internet. So uh, a, a, ra radio and all so of they, that. Like, like a car that can go out that basically, uh, can act as a radio base station in order to get mobile <coughs> communication back up for 3G, 4G. Mm. That's exactly. pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. And then they send them in a certain constellation. So they triangulate yeah. and they cover a whole region. So they put the cars, how they know how to build the, a network. Yeah, that exactly. Over, cool. You know, in few hours, they didn't have water or electricity, but they had 4G internet, you know. <laughs> Um, and what happened afterward? How, how are they doing today? Are, are they still around in the same area or did you bring no, them we, Yeah, we moved them to Istanbul to an apartment uh, there, uh, to a friend's place. <clears throat> They're quite okay. Uh, obviously, over time, more kind of traumas start to appear, but uh, they were very lucky. Kind of, they were really, really lucky. Were they able to, to recognize, okay. re rescue or, or keep some of the personal belongings from... My parents, yeah. Yeah. My parents were lucky, kind of, they were able to go back into their building, kind of pack nice. some stuff and leave. Um, so they, that happened. Not, not everyone in the family could do that. Some really left with their passports and, right. and phone. Uh, and what uh, happened afterwards? I mean, what about the economy or do you have any insurance that can cover this? Or is it, you know, you have to build everything from scratch <coughs> then or what's, what's next? Yeah. I mean, it's, everything is. Uh, being discussed now, it's a huge, you can imagine it's a huge, yeah. 40 million, right? 14, people, 14 yeah. million people have the same question. The what is covered? Exactly. Will the government step, step in, you think? I guess you don't have. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to some degree now the government offered everyone there a monthly salary, like a oh, compensation really? to, so that they can find some to place to rent, you know, minimal numbers, but enough for people to be able to buy food and maybe rent a, a place. Yeah. And they're going to start building those cities. Um, what I understand is that people who insured will be able to get some compensation, but <clears throat> in that part of the world, insurance isn't yeah. very 
like part of the culture. So yeah. I think 50% of people had their uh, places insured. Mm. So they will get some sort of compensation for that. But of course, it will be years and years before people feel settled again. They say it's, you know, few generations will be traumatized by this until life comes back to normal. I can imagine. And, and what do you think the plans will be? Will they go back to the original place and rebuild it? Or will they move to some other place? <coughs> or what do you think? My parents yeah. specifically? No, we're, well, every morning they wake up with a new plan. <laughs> with a new plan. <laughs> so you can imagine some of them are, you know, imaginary plans that would never happen, like go back and, <clears throat> but um, no, we're, you know, me and my siblings, I, we're quite, uh, we're trying to find the silver lining in this in a way and feel like, okay, you know, sometimes when people get older, they are very resistant to change. Yes. So right. now change now, was yes. forced on them. Yes. Yeah. So now you can bring we the can, family back together. Exactly. You can we make can it get them closer. How do you say it? How can we turn a lemon into lemonade? Yeah. So we're trying to make a lemonade. Right, right now. And is your siblings uh, in Sweden? Uh, <coughs> where, where are, or where, where are you? We're where, where, quite, where, where, uh, where, where yeah, it? we're trying to cover as many <laughs> continents. Uh, continents as possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my brother lives, I have a younger brother, um, works in the US, um, a data scientist in the US. And I have a twin sister that's a professor in well, machine learning. Oh, you, so <laughs> you, you see the, you, you see the, the theme. You, you spread here. on continents, but you don't <laughs> spread on interest. Exactly, <laughs> got to keep something in common. That's fantastic. Uh, in in the UK, she's a professor at uh, Durham University yeah, in nice. machine learning. Awesome. Well, with that, very welcome here. Finally, uh, Samir. I'm not sure about the pronunciation here. You have to correct me. So, but Samir Al Buya Mobayed. Mubayed, yeah, Mubayed. no worries. I've heard yeah. them all. Mubayed, <laughs> Turkish or it almost <coughs> sounds French to me. Um, Syrian, actually. Syrian, yeah, Syrian. Arabic, oh, an Arabic name. Arabic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, CEO of Ferret Robotics, and we also have, um, and I'm going to try to pronounce it again here and probably fail, but <laughs> Arno uh, Henwil Vedholm. Yeah, that's perfect. No, 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 no. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't, don't be nice. Arno, what's your sur surname? Um, so Enville is easy because Enville, Enville is, is French and um, the Vedholm part is the Swedish part of my name. My wife is Swedish. So we, I wanted to integrate more and so we took a double name. Mm. Cool. And you're the business director of, of Her Hats as well, right? That's um, right. So we, and, and also we've been trying to get you here for a number of months and, and it's great to have you finally here. You have a rather good excuse <laughs> given what's happened. Um, yeah. No, Samir is drinking tea, so you're not <coughs> completely recovered from your cough or from, no. from the, no. yeah, sweet was uh, after, what do you call it, sweetener, uh, uh, you're not <coughs> covered, you're still uh, recovering to some degree, so it's great to have you here. Thank you, thank you, great to be here. And to give your voice a rest for some time, you've spoken already. Perhaps we can start with you on Arno. Um, okay. And if you were to just give a very brief introduction to your background, you know, who is Arno? Um, let's see here again. Um, <laughs> Enville. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <coughs> who is? Who are you? How would you describe yourself? Uh, that's a good question. Maybe I should have prepared <laughs> that one. But um, yeah, I'm French. Um, I guess. Uh, my DNA, at least. Mm. 
as far as I know. Um, and otherwise, um, I've, I've been around, I've been everywhere, I guess. I've been living as a kid in many countries, um, born in Africa, actually. Oh. Where in Africa? Uh, Cameroon. Cameroon. Uh, former French colony. Um, so that's that. Beside that, uh, I'm, uh, I would say I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, I've been on several journeys. I've been doing a lot of things. Um, I've studied um, a master and MBA in business and I try to be serious, you know, to follow the path. <laughs> <laughs> but it never Trying really... to be serious? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, follow try, the path of the try, MBA. Yeah, follow the, 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 the career path that you should take when you when you graduate after an MBA, right? Mm -hmm. Typically, um, yeah, serious stuff, I guess. Bank and or finance or consulting or, you know, yeah. things like that, which I did for five years, um, consulting firm in, in Stockholm. But after that, um, it was, so it was management consulting in, in, um, execution of strategies, mm -hmm. uh, for big accounts. Um, but yeah, after five years, I thought I, I, I can do something else. Um, mm -hmm. and my entrepreneurial drive, uh, took over. Mm -hmm. Um, and since then, uh, that's, that's all I've done. So now it's been 15 years mm -hmm. of, uh, um, roller coaster like, <laughs> craziness. Yeah, and, and we even have a book to prove it. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. So we have a book to prove it. So we can talk about that sometime today. With an awesome well. title as well. I, I love the we, title. And it's, it's an awesome. How content. hard can it be? Startup yes. lessons from trying and failing to take down Facebook. Oh, <laughs> right. Great title. Great title. <laughs> yeah, we needed a good, uh, good title. So how hard can it be actually is the... Uh, you get, I guess you get the uh, impression when you are outside of the startup community, when you haven't done it, that it's actually easy because when you look around, it seems easy. Like uh, uh, all the news that you get is a, a news about, you know, success. The few and, making it. Yeah. Exactly. Unicorns and, you know, zillions in the bank and it looks fantastic and easy. So of course it's, bah, come on, how hard can it be? And interestingly, as an entrepreneur, when you start, uh, if you want to, if you want to do something meaningful, I guess you have to go big, right? Otherwise, there's no point even trying. So we set up on the mission to take down Facebook. That was the that was the idea of the startup. Okay, so, so you actually started a new startup, right? With some friends or with actually a former colleague of mine at yeah. this uh, management consulting firm, and um, at that time. Um, we so we observe from from afar how facebook is growing so this is 20 um uh 2018 uh, 2012 sorry we start 2018 we wrap up so 2012 okay. we start and yeah. we we look at facebook taking off and because we work with the behavioral change we can't really understand why would people go crazy about taking pictures about you know the content of their plates and you know the, the parties they're going and we see no value in this and we decide to do something clever or cleverer, <laughs> right? Something that goes beyond pictures and, right. and, and nonsense. And so we want to, we want to give people meaning. Um, you know, we want to take them back into, uh, you know, using your time uh, for something that has a purpose. And so, yeah, our idea is let's build, uh, let's, let's, put together a social network. I, I'm, you know, we are management consultants. We, we have no background in IT or anything like this. I've never built a website uh, myself, so I have no clue. And yet uh, we set up to uh, to create a social network. That's very ambitious. 
Yeah. <laughs> Corin. So uh, yeah, we somehow get some traction. We get, uh, you know, we get, um, we get um, invited to participate to Sting, uh, which is the Stockholm, Stockholm Innovation. Innovation. What is it? Uh, Stockholm Innovation. Oh, Perry's gonna kill me now. <laughs> I can look it uh, up. Stockholm Innovation. To. Something. Something. Uh, <laughs> Stockholm Innovation and Growth AB. There you go. Innovation yes. and growth. Innovation and growth. That's, yeah, that's the sting, right? Uh, so yeah, we get there. We we get incubated, as we say in the mm-hmm. startup. Um, then we get some some funding and so forth, and and we we start really believing in yeah, we're one of the few that get uh, incubated in, in in Sweden. It's awesome. I mean, they don't uh, incubate uh, every idea, right? So How did you come to Sweden, by the way? Since, uh, were you already here before that? Uh, yeah, I had been here since uh, 2008. Through love. Uh, through love, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Vedholm. That's right. Get, give that away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. And, and you got some funding uh, and through the Sting um yeah, through yeah. Sting, through some uh, angels, uh, right. investor, and um, and then we start really believing in that we're going to take down Facebook and we start building that social mm-hmm. network somehow, you know, collect teammates and, and, and start building it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, long story short, a year and a half in, um, we realize or we're told that, the, hey, the, the, this this model of creating a social network and what it takes. I mean, many, many companies that tried before and had failed and many zillions had been spent into uh, uh, social networks. So, um, so uh, Sting, our coach then tells us we should perhaps think of a, a different model because you're not going to raise any money on this. Uh, the, the, the party's over, you know, it's after uh, the financial crisis. Um, and so coming from where we come from, we decide to do a, um, uh, what basically we call a few of our former customers and we pitch the idea of, uh, of um, a social network for organizations or we, like, we would challenge. Um, so basically the way, if I go back one step, so you understand the concept. Yeah. Um, well, the, you, can you do an elevator pitch, you know, for the company? What is the... It's been a while now, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's the, another one. Long story short, we wanted to challenge people. I mean, when I was talking about doing something better with your time, it was about challenging people in doing something better with their time. So how would you do that? And the idea was a challenge. Like it would, you would challenge, uh, you know, your friend because you know your friend to stop smoking, to start a marathon, to learn I English, see. to whatever. Uh, this didn't work. And then we pivoted towards B2B and we say, to a head of HR or a head of sales, would you want to challenge your employees to do X, Y, Z? And that took off because um, it was fun. It was different. It was like social. You could so you add a grain of gamification. In That's here. right. Yes. So social and gamification for B two B to drive the right behavior. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you offer some kind of platform that the businesses could then leverage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, use, so, yes. so they subscribe to it somehow, or exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And can you give an example of what could a could a challenge be? In uh, absolutely. So we work with. Uh, we're very lucky to uh, do a big rollout for uh, big, big, big companies. I mean, we were. My, my background was in dealing with large corporates, so we were not going after the small ones. We we're going after the big monsters. And our first client is GE, General Electric, oh. and uh, we do a big rollout for three thousand people. 
And we challenge them to uh, demonstrate that they understand the values of the organization. So uh, we are innovative, uh, you know, we are um, um, creative. I can't remember what the values were, but they had five values and we, we, we launched five challenge uh, over eight months and people had to contribute with their stories from real life, real from where they are in their yeah. offices. Right. Or so if you are um, in HR, you would talk about how, you know, you're creative in your work in HR. If you are. So it's, it's, it's uh, you have five values, but how do I make that, how do I contextualize, put some meat to the bone? Exactly. In relation to all the example of great careers you can have in this company. Exactly. So it's a, it's a way, it's a, yeah, it's a way of engaging people. I mean, engaging no around the values. Yes. yes. I mean, awesome. And there are so many interesting questions you had in the book there, you know, how it's, what it takes to start and monetize a startup and, um, but yes, how did we get, how, when did the book come about? So yeah, so the book, I mean, if we fast forward, um, the, so the company eventually fails. I mean, fails as in my, uh, as per my standards of success, which is, um, I don't know, maybe an exit or a super exit. Um, so it's fails. Are you selling it to execute, <coughs> you're exiting or the company's exiting or the, how does it work? Um, so my idea was to make it big, as I said before, you know, we either I, I play uh, hard or, uh, or I don't, uh, that's, that's, that's the goal. And so when it's like sort of surviving, I'm, I'm, you know, it's not interesting to me. Um, so that's where we were, you know, in limbo and we're kind of floating. It was okay, but it was, it would never gonna, be, it, it was never going to be the it's not a unicorn in it's that sense. It's not. It was not exactly. It was, it was, a, it was a business that has nice growth and yes. it was, it was yeah. good, yeah. but it was not a unicorn. Exactly. Hence the um, the picture there. It's a broken unicorn. You see yeah. the, oh, the corn oh, is broken. I miss that. Oh, I yeah. Right. There's a lot of thinking that goes into that. Uh -huh. So after the, the failure in a way, um, so I, this is not a failure to all standards. No, I, I think to, that's to my, important to, that's what the point, right? Exactly. And, and yeah, I, I, then I reflect on that failure, so to say, and I realize that many entrepreneurs would love to get a head start because again, the, the content that you get out there is just focused on success. It's focused on Tesla. It's focused on SpaceX. It's focused on Virgin. Elon always comes in. Somewhere. Elon comes into this <laughs> podcast a lot. Yes. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, I, I wrote the book to, to give some context to what it takes to, um, to first to come up with something, to actually drive it. And, and, and in the end, in spite of the great success you may have along the way, re regardless of the length that take, I mean, you have a lot of data points. Obviously, if you continue for so long is that you believe in your story, you believe it's going to work, but eventually, even if it doesn't work it's still okay i mean the, the journey has been what it is and you you pack up your bag you take the lessons and you hopefully continue your journey richer than you know when you started and so the book is really about this idea of doing the work um, doing the work yeah doing the work we love t-shirts by the way <laughs> and we've been collecting t-shirt quotes all the way oh, yeah. four seasons. Uh -huh. So when I see someone showing up with a t-shirt quote, I get goosebumps. <laughs> and by the way, goosebumps is a t-shirt quote. <laughs> but you have a special spelling. Do the work and work. it's a Swedish work. It's a Swedish uh, work. And so work in Swedish would be, you know, how would a sw work 
if you if you if you don't know English and you're a Swedish guy, work. How would I spell that? V Ö är k. That must be work. Exactly. Do the work in Swedish. Yes. Fantastic. So and that's think, the, yeah. Yeah, I think we can get better the content, you know, of the book later yes. and and go through, you know, and if you have any advice for people that's interested in getting a startup, that's a good topic. Starting and potentially getting it working as well. Yes. That's I think a lot of people are are interested in. But still, just to close the topic about the book as well. Mm-hmm. How do you get started writing a book? Did you just make that decision yourself? Did you get some funding for it, or what's the process there? Um, yeah, that was interesting. So, uh, yeah, I like to think uh, back. I mean, I like to. If I had the opportunity, I like to, you know, reflect on things. And so, COVID for me was uh, ah. a great moment. Ah. People were complaining about COVID. I enjoyed every minute. Uh, <laughs> you had so much work that you wanted to get out of your head. <laughs> exactly, because I got to sit and put the book together. I, you know, I had been reflecting along the way, and then COVID hit, and I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. When can one sit for six months and write a book? Never. So I took it. Uh, I really went in and uh, you I wrote. Started it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Just you didn't contact any publisher or anything. No, no. I mean, first it was like uh, for me actually, just like uh, putting the ideas down and why this happened and could have could have done it better. What would have done and right. wrote it in yeah. six months. Uh, found a, a an editor, a publisher, and then um, got them to accept it. And um, yeah, in one year it was out. Awesome. So. That's a, that, that, that's a great. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, so, I don't know. Not men, not maybe everyone, but I have it, and I know more people than you think. They have uh, this little burning. Oh, maybe I should write a book. And there is a saying: every person has one book in them. You know, to tell their story, to tell whatever, wherever it is. Everybody has one book in it. But I just get, you know, I get really passionately. Enthusiastic when someone sees it through, and maybe to end the note, an, an anecdote. I have a good friend, uh, completely random in this conversation, but he just he wrote a book when we were at university. You know, you know, you know. He he wrote a book of, of the all the stuff that you don't want anyone put on paper, and it was a fantastic three hundred pages, but never published, by the way. <laughs> but then he wrote a book uh, later that he he decided to, you know, uh, like a fictionary book. So I, I very much relate to this sort of, oh, cool. Very, very, very inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. No, we definitely, I mean, Summer has quite a few books in him, I'm sure. Yeah. I, 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 that's, yeah, I we need right. to think about and talk about that. Mm. But it is, a, it is a great, <coughs> a great read. The, uh, the book that Arnaud wrote. It's yeah. A, Thank you. It's a I mean, page turner. On, on that sure. note, perhaps we should do an introduction of, of you as well. Samir al um, Mubayed. Almost wow. right. Yeah. Very quick. Uh, yeah, Good learner. Good yeah, learner. Okay. <laughs> but you're a CEO of, of Ferret Robotics, and, and we actually had other people here before from Ferret as well. But it's great to have you here as well, and we're looking forward to also uh, watching the robot that we actually have. Uh, sitting we, here. we actually we have a third guest. We have yes. Ferret here. Mm. Yes. That is amazing. <coughs> but before yeah. we go there, uh, perhaps you can give a quick introduction of yourself. Who is Samar? Samir. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm currently. In my current uh, inc- reincarnation, I'm the CEO, co-founder of Ferhat. Um, I was born in Syria, so I'm a, an immigrant slash explorer. I would like to to thank uh, both traveling and also traveling intellects. Or um, grew up in Syria. I um, 
got into computer science quite early when computers went into the country. Lived a very, my parents are entrepreneurs, so lived a very, say, chaotic life. The, the, the kids of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, wow, what do they do? Uh, they, I don't, they listen to budget discussions over dinner. Between <laughs> the parents. No, no, no. Well, you're on, in what way were they? On, what, 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 <coughs> oh, my parents. What, 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 are they, what were they into? What were yeah. They doing? So both of them are engineers, mechanical and electric oh. engineers. Um, so I can they, imagine entrepreneurs, engineering. I can see this uh, dinner table. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was uh, gro growing up in Syria. It was uh, um, Syria was very socialist when I was growing up. So. Um, everything was owned by the government. Everyone worked for the government. No one, you know, the concept of an entrepreneur, you could own a grocery store. That's like when you were a business owner, that's how far you can go. Otherwise it was really the government owning everything. And then after the collapse of the Soviet Union, things started to become a bit more privatized. And my parents were, I would say some of the first people that were like, okay, we're going to quit our government job. And that was a huge deal in today's world. That doesn't sound much, but when no one has ever not worked for the government, it even look people would look at them as like traitors of government, you know, but they quit and they started a, a business. Uh, and what year was this approximately? In the early nineties. Yeah. In the early nineties. Okay, Soviet Union collapse. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, but was an engineering business or what? what? Yeah, in um, cooling and heating systems. So they would take like big structures. Should have a lot to do nowadays in Turkey then, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then I uh, got into computer science. I um, it was both kind of a, you live a chaotic life. You, you start to be a programmer. You, you try to kind of build a, a way was, structure of the world around you. What was your first programming language? I would say the first one that I learned really well was Pascal. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Awesome. Turbo Pascal or Borland Pascal or Turbo? Yeah, uh, Pascal, I would say the, the DOS version, then Borland and, you know, when, I mean, this was probably before <laughs> even Windows. So, uh, then when more advanced. As a kid? Uh, I, I, this is like that. Is totally, <coughs> this is on your own. Yeah, a little bit in the early days, but then when I started studying, that's when really uh, it got yeah, maybe basic in this in school. Too young to have been programming Borland Pascal, <coughs> but uh, okay, I should say that to my plastic surgeon. Uh, he, his <laughs> plastic surgeon is very happy when you, he hears that. <laughs> no, um, awesome. yeah, and then you continued, and and you you also continue with a PhD at some point, right? Yeah, I traveled as soon as I could. I uh, did my master's in Belgium in, in what's called at the time language technologies, mm -hmm. which is kind of, yeah, building, making computers good at languages. Um, today is quite a hot topic. So yes, yeah. right now it's, it's especially, especially right about, now. Yeah. What about ChatGPT? Uh, oh, it's a topic. Oh we my can't God. have a podcast without talking about that. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit over it, Anders, to be uh, honest, but okay. Well, but, but you've been on this journey for a while. I studied language technologies. I was very fascinated by this uh, intersection between um, programming and um, psychology or like the unpredictability of human behavior. Really? Um, 
psychology is a very strong interest of mine, oh, no, even though I pet, haven't um, pet peeves. haven't studied it. But it's very interesting topic, I think. Mm. And uh, yes. why why is that interesting? Why why were you why is that intersection that something that really you wanted to explore, uh, think about? I mean, I think there are different ways you can flip that coin, but the if if I want to look back, I think. Well, I'm personally, I'm very ex- extroverted. I, I like meeting people. I like uh, social settings. Um, then I studied programming, which is, um, yeah, you really, you spend most of your time, you, know, you spend 15 hours in a row trying to build an algorithm of something, which means that you want to make everything very predictable. You know, this is how things work. Deterministic, you know, even. Very deterministic algorithms, you know. And then you look at humans and then, like, you know, <laughs> it's the opposite, the opposite, uh, the end of the spectrum. So I was very like to be a great programmer, great computer scientist. You have to figure out human psychology and build algorithms that can model and predict human behavior. It seemed like a, a good kind of North star. And but but, but the, the way you put that now, it almost formulates a great program in order to work in the dirty world that is not deterministic. You need to understand the world you're in. Therefore, you need to understand the psychology of the users mm. or the usage. Mm. Yeah, in a way, I mean, you reverse engineer psychology. Psychology, you build, oh. turn it into an algorithm. I mean, it's, many people say that's kind of also what AI is trying to do in some sense. Um, I'm an awesome. Yeah. And what do you have a title for the PhD? <coughs> Did you finish the thesis as well? And yeah, I. Uh, Got that's been doing a PhD was why I came to Sweden. Oh, so okay. I got uh, came to KTH ah, in I Stockholm, uh, did a, my PhD there. Um, and let's go nerdy now because Anders is always on my back that we're not going techy enough. So please, oh, you want to go deep? Uh, yeah, please. Just, please. Okay, what's the title oh, please, to start with? Um, Actually, yeah, no, I, I always wanted to make science a bit more approachable and accessible. So my PhD is, I, I really try to attempt, attempt that, but the title is. Bringing the avatar to life was the the wow. title. And That's a clickbait in itself. <laughs> yeah, I see the connection right. to before Instagram. See the connection, I see the connection to where we're going with this. Yeah. yeah, but okay. What was the concrete? Uh, what's the abstract of, of of the PhD? I mean, it was the the, the main the larger the context is what we call multimodal interaction. Um, multimodal interaction is. When we when you try to interact with, with humans or with machines using more than one uh, mode, one channel, so you interact with your uh, with your phone, with touch input, and then you get video or visual output. We interact with your Google Assistant with voice, but we interact with each other in a multimodal inter- setup. We so look we at have, each other. We see exactly. the expressions. We talk about communication is 10% what you say, 30 pence on, on, on the sound, how you do it, you know, all this. Mm. So multimo- we, we are multimodal <coughs> creatures. Exactly. So multimodal is both, you know, for example, vision and hearing. Today, a meeting like this wouldn't be possible without vision because we're more than one per person. So you need to see who I'm looking at, for example, to know who should answer my question. Not to get feedback, yeah, feedback. If, if, if we have a good relationship in communication right now and we are lifting it, all this, yeah. Exactly. And then you can talk about multimodal in also in like voice only. 
I can say something, but I can change its meaning by the way I say it. So yeah. there are multiple layers, verbal and nonverbal within the same. So, so but that's the, the topic of my PhD. What's the problem you were trying to attack in some way, and, and perhaps some something short about the main contributions of the thesis? Um, well, I would like to think Furhat is one of the contributions yes. of my thesis. But did you start um, with the actual robot during? I ended with the robot. So the last paper uh -huh. I published, um, the last prototype I built was the first prototype of Furhat in my thesis. Your PhD leads to Furhat. Yeah, so Furhat is in a way a spin out from KTH. Uh, based on the research that we did there. Beautiful. I, I think it's time to introduce perhaps the third guest then. Does it have a name or? Uh, this is Furhat. Uh, okay. Actually, Dennis, our colleague here sitting in the background, was going to help us. Yeah, he asked me to put the Furhat on <laughs> <laughs> to make this very authentic. Uh, yeah, maybe you can explain uh, why Furhat. Um, yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. As a uh, cool history, if you if you haven't yeah, heard please. it, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Well, yeah, exactly. For Ferhat, uh, the well, let me see. It has to look good on camera. One second. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. So, yeah. So, um, well, the first prototype had a Ferhat on it, okay. but it didn't look that? like this. It looked uh, very uh, prototypish. There was like a big meta. Uh, a wooden box here instead of the chest. There were cables everywhere. There was no and, skull. And did you do the prototype at, as a part of the actual PhD? Or did you actually make the robot? Or did that came after the first prototype? Ooh. Social robot, and I can introduce myself properly later if that's all right with you. <laughs> yes, sure. Please. Yeah, so I'll take a power nap now. Will you wake me up when it's time for me to do my little presentation of myself and my kind? <laughs> yes. What do you think, Samir? Should we ask him to do it, or is it him or her? By the way, this is a him. This is like uh, in what do you, when you design. These perso personas, you try to give them a voice and a name and a, right, some some right. story. But this is the original kind of Ferhat, the Ferhat character. Yeah. Also, uh, should we let him introduce himself then? Yeah. I think? Yeah, Ferhat, please introduce yourself. So this is this is a um, like an something called Meet Ferhat, an interactive experience to get to know the robot. Hi there. Hi. It's nice to meet you. I don't, I don't, you. I don't have a microphone. I'm a, a social robot, the most advanced in the world, if perhaps not the most humble. Anyway, nice to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. All of you. How nice are to you meet you. Feeling this evening? Feeling quite good. I feeling hope. great. Yeah. Excited to hear who you are. Who are you? Oh, do you want a three-minute demo about me? Please. Yes. That's a good idea. I don't think I understood that. So, should I tell you about myself? Yes. 
awesome. So, my purpose is to make technology more human by communicating the way people communicate with each other. How about you? What is your purpose? My purpose is to make more of you, Farhat. Some say the purpose of life is a life of purpose. But what do I know? I'm pretty sure I'm not actually alive. Either way, let's talk about expressions. Okay. For instance, I see that you are smiling right now. And that you looked at your smiling friend. <laughs> a lot of meaning can be conveyed through the face. Like this. Now, can you do this? I can't. We are no can. It's uh, good with facial expressions. And I can change my face at will. I can be different genders. Oh. C. Or different skin colors. Can you change your voice? Very realistic. Like this, or more stylized. Like this. I also lip sync to over 35 languages. How many languages do you speak? Um, <clears throat> I speak maybe three, sort of. Anyway, may I ask, who is your favorite robot from a movie? Um, Wally is my favorite. Wow, I also love the movie Wally. And how about you? Who is your favorite robot from a movie? Terminator. I love Terminator as well. What do you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor? I thought he was the robot. Is he a, is he a real human? War is an amazing machine, and I might not be as advanced as fictional robots, but consist of incredible hardware and software. Knowing that you like Terminator, I will let my final sentence be. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Ah, that was impressive. So can we go a bit techy here on the robot as well? It it has some kind of sensors, right? And, and by the way, this was not rehearsed. So he didn't know I was going to say Terminator and Hasta la Vista came from the robot or yes. from the programming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to some degree it's uh, scripted, but it has a long list of the most popular movies <laughs> of, with robots. And then it will try to refer to the robot at the end. So um, let's go techy. Yeah. I think this is awesome. Can you speak more about the sensor this robot has? Uh, yeah. Um, so there is a this puck in the front. Uh, it's fine. I need to keep the tea flowing from my throat. Um, so there is a um, microphone array yeah. um, here in front of us, is, which has multiple microphones on it. Um, so right, the microphone is actually oh. here. Yeah. So we tried to bring it up here so the robot can hear it's us. Because I was trying to talk, to, but I was actually going to talk to that one <coughs> to be exactly. proper. I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But this it is worked a great. to some degree. Yeah. 
Um, but that, then, then it was actually better than I. It was closer than. Yeah, sorry. Mm. Uh, sometimes you need the microphone to be separated from the robot because of situation situations like this throughout these different situations. The robot has microphones inside of it. Okay. In the neck, but we try to use something like this. Mm. <coughs> because we do more. have like um, uh, robots deployed in production at some places, right? Mm-hmm. So then you have some microphones and some suitable way located yeah. Yeah, for that situation. Okay. Exactly. We we have many different types of microphones. So we try to put the one that's, you know, if, if you're in a very, very noisy environment, then we use microphones that are very directed to where we think the person will stand in front of the robot so right. that the robot can only hear that person and doesn't hear itself or other people. Um Does it have a camera or not? Mm-hmm. So the yeah, I mean, when you saw it was turning uh, yeah. at us, that was computer vision. So it would. Uh, uh, there's a camera here in the chest, a wide fish eye lens camera um, that can track in real time. I think as many people as fit in the visual view of the camera. So, um, so, so in theory, he had all of us in vision. He he was yeah he he saw all of us. The head movement was. Um, triggered by where he thought the people were sitting in the room. And then it can uh, also track the distance of where someone is standing or sitting. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that's obviously very important. If if uh, the robot is trying to give advice at an airport, there's a line of people. You want to talk to the person in the front of the line. Uh, if there's a family, you want to maybe talk to the person in front or in the middle. Um, so you, you, you build this what we call visual situation, uh, situ- situation that's in front of the robot and we try to do situation awareness. Um, I'd love to hear more about the like sample applications of the robot, etc. cetera. Um, so perhaps we can do that uh, shortly. Um, but you do have some sensors um, like microphones and, and camera. Is there anything else in the sensor wise? No, those are the yeah, yeah. the main channels. And output wise, uh, or actuators or whatever you want to call it, um, it has obviously voice, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and facial expressions. I can see that. Are these the the main things? Or well, yeah, you have two speakers in the chest, right. um, so you can do things like uh, if the robot is turning its head. You can direct the audio coming out of the robot to feel like it's speaking towards the right side or because usually the voice or our speaker is in our head. So when we turn right and left, people can hear, can can predict that our head is rotated. Um, Then there are three degrees of freedom in the neck. So... uh, um, He can turn his head up. Yeah, I don't know if Dennis is still here. Uh, Maybe you can show some neck movements. Right, left, and then... Down and yes, and then so roll to the sides. So you can nod and you can, yeah, you can have head shake, head nod, uh, head roll uh, to the sides like this. So like you can look, can do like a shy gesture. Yeah. Um, and then there are the facial expressions or the the virtual actuators. You want to call them the muscles. So how how does that work? You have a, something projected. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what's, what's the, how, how is that done? There is a, um, there is actually a project. Uh, uh, this is a, this mask is magnetically attached, so you can just uh, unplug it. 
like this, um, and it's a it's a printed mask according to a certain profile profile character, and then there is a projector micro projector that projects the animation on the face. Uh, so we are looking at an animation projected at the face at the right spot in the face, or mm -hmm. that's really kind of the, the the magic or the secret of this is we're using optics. You can do some very you know, high resolution gestures, animations, eye movements, lip movements. Yeah, because without the, the, all the I motors. think this is quite unique because sometimes when you do robotics and you need to sort of build the hard, it's a different way of solving the gestures completely. Yeah, which is quite smart and cost effective, I would argue. Yeah, and also, you know, it would be super noisy if you had like 50 muscles, motors moving in the head. If slow, it would be uh, break, 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 break right? yeah, heat up, and, uh, and I think yeah. it's a really smart way to have a really flexible type of you know facial expressions, mm. which you can really, I guess, customize. And even the customers can customize, I guess. Absolutely. And, and how, you, how, how, how the demo shows how you can, you can change uh, gender and ethnicity mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. on the fly. On the fly. Mm. Which, yeah. you know, <coughs> that's, you can't do that if you don't have this kind of uh, well, an old person, mm -hmm. a woman. You can also change the mask. We have many different masks. Okay. So, you know, you can have a dog. Ah, you can make a dog, of course. You can make a dog or a bird or a kid or a manga character. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, we're now looking at three or four or five different robots used by switching the projection. Mm. Super awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting point you bring up. Most people in robotics, you know, if you work in robotics, usually you have to... Uh, you're cheating. <laughs> you, you have to buy a, a robot and then the robot looks exactly the same as the fixed character. If you want to change the age or like the gender, you know. In theory, can I have one with my? It should look like me. Yes. Isn't that the point? You know, um, I, I want theory. a robot at, ho at home that looks like me. Yeah, I can get it. For sure, yeah. We've done a few cool kind of projects where we copied different people. I, I can see where yeah. this is going. Including politicians. No, no, no. Politicians, yeah? Do you know the TikTok, uh, they're going uh, bananas over the... Um, Tom Cruise deep fakes. Come mm. on, you you could you could just go viral by just taking that and putting that with the Tom Cruise. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, I mean there are there are also even you know there's been a, a lot of work on area called uh, cryo speech, which is this idea that if you can collect enough speech of someone who's dying, like here. People want to, for example, try to keep a copy of their parents or loved ones. Ooh. You know, you could uh, you could do a full copy. You know, okay, maybe maybe not the close, you know, relatives because that's quite heavy for podcast maybe to talk about. But <laughs> maybe uh, historical characters. You know, if you go to a museum and you want to interact with Einstein, you want to interact with Einstein. I think interact right. with Einstein, interact with like the great, uh, you know, Kamal Khan, I mean like Genghis Khan, you yeah. know, sure. fantastic. Very educational if you go to a museum and you let kids, for example, have a, a wall with different masks. It's like, oh, I want to talk with this character and then you put it on. Fantastic and idea. Nelson yeah. Mandela and whomever yeah. you want to talk to, right? Mm. Wow. 
I mean, I can see the connection to psychology here as well. I guess, you know, one effect that you want to have the robots have is to anthropomorphize it or, or to make people feel I'm speaking like to a human and not a machine in some way, right? Is that, is that the, the, the main reason for this kind of smart way to have like a projection to to the face in this way? Or what what is yeah. the main reason for having this kind of projection, you would say, to, to a face like this? <clears throat> I mean, I guess two, there are two topics here. One is how should a robot look like? Like, or if you're creating a machine that you're giving a body to machine, how should the body look like, and why? You know, what applications? How, how is that useful? Uh, there could be many different designs uh, that could be useful in different settings. I mean, the, the evidence of that is humans. We have many different designs. Different people look differently, and different looks fit different careers. Right. right? You you want a doctor to look a certain way. You don't want the doctor to look like a ten-year-old person. Uh, you know, we, we, hum, the human brain is very, can, categorizes things. So, uh, different designs would work in different applications. Uh, so, um, but why should a robot be human-like is one yeah. topic or what human characteristics. And then the other one is, of course, a human is a very, com face is a very complex machine. So if you want to do a human face, you want to figure out how to do it in a. So using vision instead of having like mechanics trying right. to emulate yeah. or simulate the facial expressions is, is a rather smart thing to do, right? I mean, like the, the, the level of sophistication to get to mechanics that you can't tell from, you know, that th that is insane. You know, the, the muscles we have in our face, I, I can imagine, to really do that well and not feel scary mm. <laughs> is hard. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's... Going also back, it's interesting with what Anders said, the, the idea for Furhat Robotics, and when we started, we didn't really think it, the, the purpose of the company is not to build like replicas of human beings that can make people not even know whether you're talking to a human or a robot. Uh, it, that's an interesting philosophical, artistic kind of endeavor, but the real purpose is to make people react uh, and feel towards the robot as if it was uh, human. So it, to build trust or, or for what reason? Really? <clears throat> many, many things, but the, the core of that is that we evolved, you know, over a few million years, we evolved and our, our brain is hard coded to interact with people. You know, we, we kind of, because we spend a lot of our time tracking with people, it's core to our survival. Our brain decided to overfit to that and, you know, make certain areas in the brain hard-coded. So yes. we're like extremely good at identifying faces and understanding language and understanding emotions. You know, certain facial expressions are universal. Kids that are two <coughs> days old can react, you know, to facial expressions. So our brain is now, you know, well well-being is... Uh, there's lots of very cool psychology research in this field, yeah. but our well-being uh, is really about uh, our brain interacting with people. So if we try to make the brain react to robots as if it were interacting with people, we would get benefits from that, for example, in, in loneliness. You know, an elder living alone, if they can feel like someone can see them, 
is smiling to them, greeting them in the morning. If their brain reacts to that as if someone human interacted with them, that we could, you know, potentially help people with. But but but, but I think there is an even simpler and stronger value proposition here. And uh, we can go back to the anecdote that uh, Al um, Anders has used a couple of times: how AI robots can really change things. And uh, you give the example of uh, Anders' mother was in 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 working in hospitals, and the pain of having to interact with something that is not meant for humans to interact with which is medical uh, IT journals, you know, th- 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 that, that's like, um, uh, like sad- a no, 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 that is sadomasochism. Yeah. That is sadomasochism. Mm. <laughs> so if you realize how can we make technology seamless in interaction with the human psyche and the human flow, human workflow, if you're in business, human flow if you're at the Hauptbahnhof or at the, you know, how can I make something that literally fits the current human flow mm. with minimum friction? Okay. Yes. And, and then we know how the psyche works and we know how we've been programmed for millions of years to actually be our brain works in a certain way that you can't fix in one year that has been wired for millions of years. And how can we now make data technology AI seamlessly work in that situation? And I think it's the same when Elon Musk says we need the real world AI. He says it like, you know, if I want a car to drive in our society as it works today, he needs to be able to enter that car needs to be able to be part of that society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the value proposition here. Exactly. You don't want to rebuild the human brain. No, it doesn't to work for, for smartphones. Hard. Exactly. You want to build a device. Adapt the machines. <coughs> so adapt the, the machines yes. to the humans and not the humans to the machines. Yeah. That's the bottom line value proposition. You yeah. agree? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if we call this type of, we call it the final frontier in human computer interaction and we call it the native interface. So like the, the native device to interact with is the one that's built the way the human brain uh, was programmed to interact with. <clears throat> so something that has a body, has a face, has a language, can see you and interact with you. That's creating as close of a replica to human-human interaction as possible. And we're masters at that, right? We've spent a few million years optimizing that system. So we're amazingly fast and smart at using that. But when we're doing it here now, this is so obvious, but let me just contrast or discuss this in, in context of normal data, AI, BI, advanced analytics, down to earth use cases. And we, we, we are putting a lot of money in our enterprises to build rep- in even reporting systems. And we build or we build systems to, to help our uh, companies. And a lot of times oh, we have this great algorithm and this algorithm is so use is so valid, it's so relevant, okay? But is it useful? It's a different question because we haven't really taken this algorithm and put it in a context that augments the human. So therefore, 
user adoption is not there. Therefore, you know, AI is value in use. You can have a robot, you can have a program, and if you don't really work with it or use it in your workflow, it doesn't give any value. So I think there's a you can you can take this extreme example of taking this to the extreme, what it really should look like, and then you can think about all the IT and data projects and AI projects and why they fail. Mm. I mean, it, it, it isn't is, it that simple? It is very yeah. No, it is very exciting also to to see what's happening in that world because <clears throat> a robot, uh, I mean, is an interface, but you still need the intelligence, the AI, all of that <clears throat> to really build great applications. So uh, the, you need both. Yeah. So the more that world gets better and better, the more robots will become more ready for society because they're the, the traditional AI that they require in certain situations is now maybe ready, much more ready, readily available than before. So I think the next period is going to be quite exciting when, when we already start to feel like, okay, there are some use cases today that were quite impossible a year ago for robots. And I'm eager to go to the business applications here as well. I was thinking about, about that, thinking about that too. Before we go there, perhaps it would be still, you know, especially from an AI nerd like myself and the tech nerd, to hear more about some of the AI models that's used in the robots. Um, I'm not sure how much you're willing to disclose. Um, I'm hoping you can give some example, you know, for for doing uh, uh, speech to text or for for speech synthesis or or some other AI models that's used. How much can you share about you know what kind of AI models you are making use of in Furhat robot? Yeah, um, no, we can share a lot. I mean, the Furhat system is quite open. Actually, that that was the whole. You know, very critical principle of the company is that we want to make everything we build open. The biggest customer group we have is researchers, scientists. Oh, Today we have, yeah, more than two thousand, I think, scientists from all over the world that are working on our platform. Two um, hundred and something scientific papers published. Yeah, interesting. So we're trying so, to make it quite open. So, um, so you, you you build a platform and then you've been really actively spreading it in the scientific community. So they're buying it one for their department and then they can explore how they can utilize it and how far they can push it. Mm. All types of different, uh, you know, from very theoretical uh, human psychology experiments, Oof. you know, how do people trust uh, things like the uncanny valley and how you design the robot. <coughs> to things like group interactions, uh, you know, interaction like We're this. We're getting a bit away uh, from the topic. Sorry let, to Let's go nerdy. I'm not trying to avoid the question. <laughs> uh, this is me. But good. Let's go nerdy. Uh, I, I shut up. No, no, it's, I'm not going to get too nerdy, but the... Um, uh, but Anders so wants you to get nerdy. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> the So the, the platform is really... Uh, open in the sense that you plug and play different things into it. So we don't necessarily build something that is closed. You know, this is the Furhat model and then all applications use it. It's more that we have quite an open API in the system nice. that you plug into different things. So things from even, you know, when we say Furhat has, um, can speak 30 languages and has 200 voices, mm -hmm. those come from different companies. Mm -hmm. So we integrate Things it's from an open Microsoft system almost that people can contribute different models. Yeah, to. it's not fully it's not open source in the sense that uh, we still want to maintain certain compatibility. So it's really 
clean and right. designed well and you know mm-hmm. it's very easy and compatible but we if you buy it you can change everything in it and plug your own things but if you you can also use the things that we provide but we try to keep it adding things to it whenever we see something that is stable now out there it's been well documented people are starting to use it we integrate it mm-hmm. out of the box in the system can you so. give some examples and just for the techie fanatic people um some yeah. models that you provide yourself or other people have provided yeah so we're i mean we're uh, most uh, heavily integrated with um the azure systems and um so microsoft and, and Go- yeah. google and the google yeah. kind of cloud services um so we provide uh, direct integration with speech synthesis and speech recognition from both um and then whatever when whenever they do release new things that then they're already available in the SDK. Okay. Then we do our own computer vision. You know, that's computer vision has been a very big problem for robots because that's you know, if the robot can't see your face or misses your seeing you for one second, it will restart the interaction. And yeah, you know, it's ve- it's it's been very difficult to build anything useful without really robust computer vision. And with a fisheye so. camera as well, I guess you have to use some specialized models for that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we actually work with Intel mm-hmm. on that. Um the <coughs> the the we do the depth tracking ourselves but we do the face face tracking mm-hmm. um and facial expression analysis just out of the box from from Intel. Um So I'm, I'm forcing you a bit here to some model uh, are you using Jolo for example? We're not using no. No. We're we're also not using actually I wanted to this might drive us to the demo. That I heard uh, today, we we integrated uh, the latest mm-hmm. um, uh, language models from uh, from OpenAI mm-hmm. from this morning. I think maybe you read yeah, they made it available. Yeah, of course. Or using the Whisper API as well. We haven't tried. No, we haven't done the the Whisper. I, I'm sure someone in the, in the engineering team has tried, tried to play around with it. it. Yeah, but uh, someone tried to uh, test the ChatGPT. They opened this morning with Furhat and uh, but again so we're not really training our own models yeah. we're just integrating or yes. making other other people's work available yeah. and i mean a lot of a lot of the a lot of the work in um, lang- large language models is not t- fully applicable to social robots yet because they're based text based mm. while we want to do things that are speech based so conversational Um, uh, just for the listeners, perhaps we should um, just inform a bit the, the very you know breaking news that a- OpenAI came out with was today or yesterday? I'm not sure. Today. Today, yeah. And and they you know they had the ChatGPT application for quite some time now that you know went to a million users in five days and under have hundreds of millions of active users these days. Um, but um, now finally they have an API, so you can actually build your own integrations to whatever product they have. And not only that, they provide pro- provided the the Chat GPT dialogue interface to it, but also the Whisper. And Whisper is basically speech to text, and it can also do translation and so many more things. But anyway, that means that you can speak to something; it can convert into text. Then you can use that text to do whatever you want, and um, perhaps you know integrate into Chat GPT. So then you can speak to something, and you have a dialogue. Not only in this case, you know with text but actually with voice and then in your case with Farhat Farhat ro- robot integ- uh, integrated 
you would have you know the facial face, yeah. expressions as well integrated. That mm. would be an awesome thing to to play with. Uh, mm. uh, right? Can you see the uh, how your engineers is just having so much fun now when they are trying to pull all this together? Yeah, I mean, wouldn't this it's be an awesome thing? Imagine having Whisper now connected. We can speak to it in Swedish or in whatever language. It just understand it. It moves it into ChatGPT. You start speaking about it, asking it questions. It looks at you, gives you a nice answer back. I mean, what yeah. an interface that would be. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure, but I think we I might think have we that. Can try it yeah. <laughs> already now. Okay. Available. Yeah, so in the that's robot. why we were late. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get the last API running. I don't know, Dennis. Is it? Do we have something that? Yeah. Okay. What? You have it. Really? I mean, I in think this. Well, I think this was done at like 3 p.m. or yeah. something. <laughs> so it's uh, okay. We have to so do a good engineer. We have to do a disclaimer, obviously, <laughs> that whatever so whatever you get out of this, you have you have prepared something for us today, based on the launch of OpenAI today. Today, today. yes. Yeah. I mean, so from today to today, we have a first MVP demo live. This I'm, is, I'm this not sure is, this is a good idea, but yes, yes. Yeah, that it is correct. It's not for us either. But <laughs> no, but it's cool. Yeah, it's for the audience. Yeah, it's you amazingly said, cool yeah. for the audience. When we I'm wanted an, to come, right? You said, let's yeah. break the internet. So this is this is, this <laughs> this is it. This is when so, it happens. So basically, OpenAI released their APIs today. And on the same day, so it's on record. Mm. On the same day on record, we are now trying to interact with what they released through Furhat. Correct. Okay, <coughs> that would be fun. No, this, we, this is cool. I want to do <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm gobsmacked. I'm a little bit. Well, well, I'll let, let you your horses. I'll let you drive it. Here. You can drive it. Yes. Well, I've never really driven it before, but no one has done that. Maybe we need a mic. It seems like you started to say something, but the sentence is incomplete. Yeah, I mean, I need probably some help with some questions. What you guys want to talk to it about? But uh, hello. I'm sorry. Can you clarify what you need assistance with while in Piney Point? Are you connected to ChatGPT? No, I am a separate chatbot and not connected to ChatGPT. Self-awareness is not very high. <laughs> it, that should be a yes, right? No, I As an AI language model, I do not possess consciousness or self-awareness like humans do. What is, can, can I speak? Okay, what is consciousness? Consciousness can be defined as one's subjective awareness of thoughts, feelings, sensations, and the environment around them. And what are you lacking to have consciousness yourself? As an AI language model, I am not capable of desiring anything, nor do I possess consciousness or self-awareness. Would you like to have consciousness? As an AI language model, I do not have the capacity to like or dislike anything, <laughs> nor do I have the ability to have desires. Oh, that was a very political, you know, good yeah, answer, they're, I guess. They're good at, at dodging. Yes, the, the hard the, um, question. Yeah. My apologies. I'm not entirely <coughs> sure what you were replying yes to. <laughs> What do you think about the current? No, that's a bit stupid question. Please, do you have a good question? As for an her? AI language model, I do not have personal opinions or beliefs. What is the whisper model? I guess it doesn't know about the whisper model, does it? See, 
I am not aware of a product called Whisper Mountain Dew. <laughs> what is the GPT model from OpenAI? Can you describe it for us? The GPT, generative pre-trained transformer, language models are a family of machine learning models developed by OpenAI that are trained on vast amounts of text data to generate human-like responses to text prompts. Can you use AI to provide ethics to a robot? As an AI language model, I am not capable of providing physical equipment or devices like ethics to robots. Okay. Um, what would you say the future... Is there anything else I can assist you with? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's a Bing chat moment soon. You're trying to manipulate me. Please don't talk to me. I'm sorry. That is inappropriate. <laughs> and I cannot engage with it. <laughs> that was really funny. Okay. You want to have a go, Henrik? Uh, some question for it? Or use mine. Use mine. Is there anything else you need assistance with? Ask about something, whatever. Sure. I, I can help you with that. I need an idea for an AI keynote presentation in Australia in two weeks. What should I talk about to talk about AI? If you're looking for ideas for an AI keynote presentation, you could consider speaking about one. Please elaborate. One. <laughs> I broke Can the system. More? Can you say <clears throat> more? I'm sorry, but I am not sure what you were referring to with RC more. And it is. I. I. What I. I think I heard in the corridor that they have restricted As it to one sentence long, because otherwise it might, you know, give you a very long text. So this might be. Could, like could, yeah. could you, I, I want to present an AI keynote. Could you give me uh, a click? How can I help you? Uh, I want to have uh, a good title for an AI keynote presentation. Unlocking the potential of AI, understanding the benefits and challenges of this transformative technology. Taken, uh, approved. <laughs> there you go. All the buzzwords in one sentence. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can assist you with? You are great. Thank you very much, Mr. Furhat Robot. You're welcome. If you need any further assistance, feel free to ask. <laughs> Goodbye. This was Goodbye. actually very impressive, I must say. This was cool. So basically now, you took your take. Uh, let's talk about, you know, what, what happened here? How did this work? We had ChatGPT, who is the generative AI, that basically there's no scripting at all. We ask stupid questions and it responds as ChatGPT would do. Mm -hmm. So what took place here technically? <clears throat> so there is an integration with the, with the, that what they released today was an API. So you can programmatically send you know, questions and get text back, right? So that's, 
um, that we integrated that in the system so that when we, you know, when you say something, we convert it into text, we send that text uh, to that API, we get an answer back. And this is really <coughs> happening more or less in real time. Very it is. Near, it's quite very near real time. It's quite responsive. It's very, very little silence in between the yeah. And then of course we do the lip synchronization, the tracking, computer vision, all of that happens. Because together. because what happens now is that okay, the text from ChatGPT is just a text. But in order for the text to come to life in the ferret robot, it now needs to sink into the algorithms and models you have in order to steer the robot. Yeah. What, what is that all about that happens right now? I mean, there are a few things that happen. The most obvious one is um, running the speech synthesis, what's called speech synthesis yeah. so algorithm. this is a translation so from text to. Yeah. Text to audio. Yeah. Then you take the audio and you sync, you create lip or facial lip movements. So the, here you have- Tongue, jaw, lips. So you, here you have a model that really takes the text and then you have programmed this text will look like this. Exactly, will generate these animations or Animation. movements. Um, and then when you then you play it. Um, at the same time, you have different gestures that are happening to the neck, to the eyebrows, maybe to the, yeah. Depending on if the, the camera can see people move, the robot might adjust while it's speaking to where you're standing. So at the same time as I'm speaking, the camera is looking at all of us to pick up who is speaking to it, turning to it. And then when I, when it responds and you laugh, he will turn and look at you because you made movements and reactions. So that's the algorithms that belongs to Furhat that now is working in integrated, integrated. you know, so we get the text, we get all that happening from the outside and how we respond. And that that's the model in Furhat that then makes it interact. Exactly. You're hired. That's it. Good. <laughs> We're looking for a business development exactly. people. So. I mean, no, no, we can talk about that after, after off, off the camera. <laughs> I mean, this I think is really nice. For one, that you have the, the very you know nice demo that you can run and a clear application, um, but also that you so quickly can you know adapt it and it, that it is so flexible and so easily you know modularized, so you can actually quickly integrate it to your own systems or other systems in this way, as you did. So you have, you had built a platform, and yeah. then it's like up to us as in our imagination, what do you want to use it for? Mm -hmm. It was useful. Exactly. Yeah. Could be a game changer for commercial applications. Right? So it's coming to that then. Ah, and the question that we've been waiting finally. for for a long oh my time. God. <laughs> it's hard, you know, we, we always went into rabbit holes all the time and never come forward to, to the short And you, you're still not satisfied because we don't know what's transformers here, what's guns in here, what's, uh, you know, if, if what, what is recurrent neural networks, what's happening behind the scenes. You, 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 you avoided because yes, I'm a bit frustrated about that, but let's go anyway. Because we question. understand the chat GPT is whatever it is, but what are the, what types of, you know, actually I'm not gonna let him go on this. <laughs> yeah. What are what are the types of algorithms that you're using for the different pieces here that I, I we use elaborated on what is happening, right? Yeah. <clears throat> what is what is the algorithms, what type of algorithms for the different parts? Can yeah. you elaborate on that? That is yours. And this is your secret, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean the, and this is maybe to make Anders less frustrating. <laughs> but the, uh, the algorithms we use are actually quite simpler uh, than kind of really large language model of course. Kind of things or even machine learning 
neural networks that you need a lot of data to train on. Um, I think this is going to be a very exciting thing in the future for robots. But today, you know, those big algorithms can only be trained on text or, you know, they're quite, text is the most commonly available media you don't have in, the data. on the internet, right? So, but we don't have data about how people move their face. You know, we don't have 10 million hours of recordings of multi-party interactions where the data is annotated and it's in the same format and so on. When we do that, we're going to be able to do much, much cooler things in human-robot interaction. Uh, so we use much simpler algorithms. We do use some classifiers and to um, do things like um, I understand when you're asking about time, there are, you know, a thousand ways you can ask about time or directions. So you can use different words. The question can be longer or shorter. You know, intent identification kind of things. Those are things that we build in-house. Right. Uh, but they're still much simpler class classifiers because you don't really need a lot of data, a lot of complexity to solve those problems. So it's also combining some of the traditional kind of chatbot techniques like uh, intent um, identification <coughs> that you have. Yeah, nice. Yeah. But isn't that the point that we need to understand? We have Occam's razor and we have mm. Einstein's razor. <laughs> never the, heard the, about the Einstein <laughs> razor, but I see what you mean. I, I, <laughs> I don't think he had a razor given his beard. No, no. So. I, 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 don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there is an Einstein razor. I invented it. Uh, oh, but I think, you know, it's nice. You shouldn't, you know, use more. You know, you should, yeah, the simplest solution that you can find is usually the best one, right? The, mm -hmm. the Occam Razor kind of practice, yeah. uh, right? I mean, yeah, there is a, this, is, this might take us away from the commercial discussion. <laughs> yes, that we'll if, we've been pushing it for half an hour already. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it might close the circle on the, on the, um, Come back. yeah, I'll try to say things you already know. <laughs> But the, um, uh, you know, going back to the point that the goal is not to build a machine that is as intelligent as possible, <clears throat> but to build it in a way that make people feel like it's uh, alive. So, um, I mean, the, I, I, I worked at Disney at, during, at, right. at some point in transition and, you know, we learned about all the, the Disney design school where you can you know, animate a chair and make people cry. Right. And then like, you know, you can, you can animate a cup and tr communicate so much depth and emotion into it. And okay, you have all these language models and all of that AI, but you, you have that, what we call social AI, uh, um, that we're trying to solve <coughs> with Furhat. So a lot of that can be very simple. I mean, I mean, if you think uh, there's, there's a psychological uh, uh, concept called Suspension of disbelief. Yes, I know. I use it quite a lot. Also, yeah. But please describe please, it. Please describe it for me. I don't know it. So, uh, suspension of disbelief is quite amazing. So, something that we all have. Uh, the idea is that when we can, we can perceive something that we know intellectually is fake, we have the ability to trick our brain to think it's real. Uh, to give you a few examples. So, you go to the movie theater. You watch a movie, you know the movie is fake, but you are you have a benefit of telling your brain that this story is real because then you can emotionally engage with it. You can cry, you can you can laugh, you can be happy, you can you might end up having nightmares and so on. 
right? But it's but you know it's fake. But you suspended your disbelief when you entered the movie theater. You said, "I know this is not not true, but I will suspend that idea." Now it's a real experience. Mm-hmm. Kids are amazing at that. So, you know, the, the younger we are, the easier it is to suspend our disbelief. If you have if you've seen a kid play with a toy, right? You give it, you give them something that doesn't even move or talk, or it's a piece of plastic. And they, it can become their best friend and they can hang out with it for a month and, you know, talk to it and go on adventures with it. The older we get, the more difficult it becomes to suspend our disbelief. But if we're able to get there, suddenly we're interacting with things like a robot as if it's our best friend. And, you know, but you need this, you need the script to be good enough. If the movie script is not good enough, if it has a lot of bugs in it, then it's really tough to take it for real. The same with the robot. If, if the robot is you know, blinking at the right time, smiling at the right time, looking at you at the right time. If enough conditions happen. Suddenly we see people, there's really cool research about that, where people start to, to interact with it as if they were interacting with a human. You know, showing genuine emotions, responding very quickly, you know, interrupting it, arguing with it, uh, getting emotional. And that's, that's the type of experience we want to create. Whether that's easy to code or difficult is really a secondary thing. The yeah. goal is to su- get them to suspend their disbelief. Uh, the human mind is really you know, amazing in some ways. I mean, it, it, it does, it, sometimes if it wants to believe something, it chooses to do so, even though it can, as you say, rationally, very clearly understand this is not r- true or, or, or real. real, right? Mm. But if it gets too absurd, you know, too extreme, or too badly done, then you know you can't even suspend the disbelief. Yeah. So then it doesn't work. But if you just make it sufficiently good and you have humans that wants to believe it, it will suspend disbelief mm. and it will choose to believe. Like I did when I watched like a Space Odyssey. You know, it's one of my favorite movies. And Halloween Thousand. I knew very well, of course, it it was a robot, but. I felt it was a human right uh, when you have that. So. But, but I think, and I think I have no competence in this area, but, but for me, it's, it, you said it. It's actually how well it's done. So it can, be comp- it can be outrageously crazy, but it's how the narrative, how it's done, how it's executed that allows me to immerse in it. Is it, if it, and, and then, and then, because it's like, oh, this is painful. I mean, like, you can look at the science fiction movies, and some are, they, 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 that one is more crazy than that one. But the way they did it, it allowed me to immerse in it. And, you know, uh, so I, I think, think we need to speed up here yeah. because we have so many more topics. And I, I love to speak more about your book as well, you know, with some advice for. And building startups, and I love to have more philosophical discussions. And we as need well. to have some business application discussion here yes. because I so really think next. we need to go there now. So let's, yeah, exactly. So let's go there. You know, All we've right. seen this kind of awesome uh, demonstration of how you can use Ferrat robots and you know integrate with ChatGPT and whatnot. But what can you use it for? Can you perhaps give, go through some examples of what you're already using it for? You mentioned like research examples doing studies on it. Um, can, can you give some kind of highlights of what it can and will be used for? Sure. <clears throat> so, yeah, Summer said, um, uh, like, I think 80%, maybe 70% of our uh, customer base is uh, research, mm-hmm. researchers. Um, 
So that's where we are, and it's not because I mean, in some ways, it's 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 chosen because that's that's where summer comes from, and, and that's where the, the company has its uh, heritage and roots. So it made a lot of sense to start there. Um, obviously, in research and and universities, you have a lot of interest in researching. Uh, so since this is uh, an innovative uh, tool, platform, product, uh, whichever, however you want to categorize it, there's this built-in uh, interest in, in uh, starting there. So that's where we start. Uh, but obviously, as time goes by, we, we, we want to go out of the lab, so to say, and really put robots into the real world. So the, so the idea ultimately is um, to have robots um, in situations where it does make sense to have robots in. Um, so we've done quite some work on the commercial side. Um, again, because of where we are in terms of uh, product adoption or um, even technology adoption, perhaps more than product, um, we're still at the very base of the uh, S-curve, right? So mm. we've got the uh, adoption yeah. curve. Simon curve exactly. Um, so we had the we had the very bottom here. Hopefully now with uh, OpenAI and and uh, applications like that, that may accelerate adoption because from from something that was quite complicated to do anything with, we might just close that gap. I mean, cross the chasm in a way um, mm -hmm. and right get get to uh, known techie. Um, developing application, or not not actually developing application, but uh, coming up with uh, applications without having to developing them, like hard coding uh, them. So that's where perhaps uh, new technologies like OpenAI or other. But 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 the ov the obvious uh, use cases is, is of course you want to interact with someone at an airport or you want to interact with someone at at the Hauptbahnhof at, at the train station. Mm -hmm. And you're a little bit confused and you want to get to the right track or, you know, all that stuff. Mm. I think this has already, to some degree, you have already proven those use cases and you may, you might even have a couple of them in production. I don't know. We've done quite a lot, actually. So we, just to use uh, what you just said, we did work with Frankfurt uh, Airport uh, DB, DB, Deutsche Bahn uh, in Germany, where, you know, it's, it's fairly easy <laughs> between uh, you know brackets yeah, you, or, you, yeah. You, you have a frame of questions exactly, exactly that is quite you know you know you know where the gate is you know where the airplane is taking off from uh, so we know the timetable so once you integrate the back end it's fairly easy to okay given the time that it is currently when the person asks the question you know am I late to to my gate uh, then it's fairly easy for for had to give the answer okay speed it up or if you've built up the map of the airport, um, one could direct people towards uh, the restrooms or the McDonald's or wh whatever may be in the airport. So we've uh, been working with uh, with airports. We've been putting Ferhat in a concierge uh, situation, you know, greeting people, um, you know, welcoming like people. Like conferences or what? Conferences, uh, definitely buildings, um, you know, like a, like a host. Actually, uh, I'm going to pitch. You, you need, uh, can we have a, a Furhat uh, as a concierge for Data Innovation Summit in Absolutely. May? Absolutely. Uh, we have like a digital contract, so we can. We can <laughs> <laughs> Just need to pay up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, sure. I mean, we have quite a few clients, uh, you know, big tech 
technology um, exposes in, yeah integrate integrators um, you know accentures and others atos who use for hat in those kind of settings like to show technology in c2 right in in operation as host of their company welcome to mm-mm-mm. Uh, so, so that we've done, we, we keep doing, we've done, we've been working with pharmaceutical companies, uh, running, um, uh, health, uh, screens. This is quite interesting. Um, so typically you don't want to talk to a stranger about, you right. know, what ah, okay. so it adds privacy. To it. it, yeah, absolutely. So you could, you know, there is a, there is something that comes, uh, built in with human is, uh, the judgment that we, we carry, right? right. The, the, um, we, uh, the, the biases that we have and the, um, the backpack that we carry, um, with us. And so robots obviously don't have that. Yeah. So there is a case for, you know, in a medical situation, in a recruitment situation, we've been working with a company here actually in Sweden doing so-called, uh, unbiased recruitment. Because if you are again a recruiter and someone comes and doesn't fit your uh, worldview or your map of the world, and then it's quite it's quite tricky to. I mean, again, you carry those, those biases. It, it makes it very difficult for you to to let go, and perhaps you judge more the person on how he or she looks rather than what comes out of their mouth. And Ferhat doesn't do that. Ferhat is text the, the content of the speech for what it is. I really like the, the idea that, you know, AI can actually be used to increase privacy, to increase uh, being objective and unbiased, mm-hmm. you know, in applications like this. You know, so many people think the opposite all the time, right? right. But but if you use it in situations like this, it actually does instead you know, increase privacy. I, I think it's a big learning mm. that a lot of people should think about. Definitely. Awesome. So, you know, more scientific applications, you have you know, commercial solutions, uh, airports, train stations. Uh, being Sh- a shopping is a big one. I mean, <clears throat> you know. Shopping, uh, shopping malls or something. Sh- yeah, shopping malls for sure, welcoming, greetings and so forth. But also um, we are moving towards uh, unmanned stores. <coughs> right? I'm oh, sure you've right. seen them. Um, yes, getting there. Right. And so... One in Sweden as well, or in where <coughs> do they have unmanned stores? Uh, Ika actually has really? unmanned stores. Uh, obviously, ah. Amazon has his own. Yeah, um, 7-Eleven has unmanned okay. stores. Coop. 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 Uh-huh. There you go. So more and more in airports, you have those. Like you enter yeah, this right. thing with your uh, bank ID or your credit card and then buy what you want. But that, you know, what we say always at Ferhat is that the, the purpose is not necessarily to optimize, and we were talking about process optimization before, uh, but perhaps to bring back the human element into the transaction. So move away from a pure transactional experience to a real human experience uh, augmented by technology. So we say, um, you know, our vision is really to um, not to displace uh, people's job, but to actually augment their job. There are many situations um, in, in across um, vertical, across industries where tech can improve the well-being of people doing their job. Healthcare is a big one. Education, uh, clearly, uh, where the both physical or emotional load is such that you could actually be aided by 
Technology. I'm not sure, Henrik, how many times we said this, you know, AI shouldn't replace people, they should, should augment, augment people, augment, but augment. it needs to be, I think, repeated time and time again, because so many people don't still get it. And and you say it as well here and now, and yeah, I think it's, but, it's really important. And, and I think if you truly want to dissect what augmentation means, and I think we I almost made the t-shirt quote before, it's not the people changing to the machine, it's the machine that you change to what fits the way our brain has worked for millions of years. That's augmentation in my opinion. And then these kinds of technologies starts to bridge that gap. Mm. And, and I think, so when we really want to dissect what we mean with augmentation and what it really means to be seamless in an interaction with humans, Th then we need to think again around a lot of the stuff we have done on UX, you know, mm. that that's not the complete picture. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's not even halfway there. Yeah. It's so much more that could be done to augment the machines to, to be on the human terms, so mm. to speak. Yeah. <coughs> and we can quickly go back to the unmanned store example. Uh, of course, in an optimized system, you don't need a robot, right? You just type your right. uh, security number on the um, on the iPad. You get past the door. You, there, the cameras everywhere. You you don't get to steal anything, and then you get out, and it's automatically. So, so technically, it's done. Technically, okay. it's it's perfect. But we human uh, love connection. If you go back to the core of what uh, the, the the shopping experience uh, you know it goes back to being you know meeting at a marketplace uh, building trust over time with a person that you've been buying meat or fish or fruits uh, it's beyond just a transaction it's like yeah. a, a connection with the people you buy it from so the value add basically for unmanned store for example is that you also get like a more <coughs> social connection exactly. and some kind of improved customer experience exactly and if you're lost i mean imagine the number of people it might be easier for us or in, and even further down uh, for our kids to to uh, get used to the to those kind of systems, but elderly uh, person like suddenly facing a unmanned store. I mean, what do they do? How do they do? No one is going to come and help them. Um, suddenly, you have Ferhat to whom you can ask questions. Where uh, you know, where is the catch up? I, I think this is a really, really important point that you know we are all at different maturity levels of interacting mm -hmm. with technology. And if I go to an online store and I've run it hundred times before, I, I used to do it, right? But then you have the uh, the one person who has never done it before and needs someone to help and get guidance <coughs> to get a smooth experience the first time. How are you gonna do that? I mean, like I have an electric car and I've been trying to figure out how to charge it. And we have an experience now which is atrocious where every each one of them, them stupid, uh, uh, electric chargers has decided that the process, it looks a little bit different. Yeah. Sometimes you pay first and sometimes you put in the electricity first. And if you don't do it in the exactly right order, nothing works. And then you stand there in the middle of the night, you know, minus 20 degrees going up to aura and you're shit, it, you're so mad, right? right? And this is technology a lot of times, yes. you know, and then it's trial and error, trial <coughs> and error. Mm. And this, this, I can see so many applications where, of course, when you've done it a hundred th times, you, you know, you, you don't want to talk to a robot, you just do it. But that's not the point. The point is to have a seamless interaction every time. And even if you're completely new to a system. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it's, it's talking even in terms of commercial applications, the, the, a good way to look at this is <coughs> like, look at where we have in society replaced people already with uh, efficient systems, systems that are meant to save time and money, but don't care about user experience. Like you go to a shopping mall, you have a big screen where you touch things to look for a toilet. Right. And like you can spend five minutes there, get very frustrated. You might be a child or an elder or a tourist. It's a very bad user experience, but we've replaced a human. Like look at those places and then where humans were providing value and then remove that experience and put a robot instead. And and actually we we, we, we we removed a human. And the solution we put in place is not really even half of what Very it used to be. Very far from what that person was doing. You know, reality, and now right? we have technology to really bring it back up to par. Yeah, exactly. that's a so good that, point. Uh, yeah, we actually say we don't replace, uh, you know, back to what we were saying, we don't replace people, we replace bad tech. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Can I have more mm, of that, please? That, that's actually <laughs> a very good point. That's yeah, a I good like point. We should replace biotech. And, and if I may, I'm pushing ahead a bit here and I'm thinking about combining two topics together here. One is your book about, you know, how hard can it be? But also if someone is listening to this and I think this robot, you know, I have an idea of how to make use of it for an unmanned store or a hairdresser saloon or whatnot. How should, how would be, what would be your recommendations for someone to build a successful business on top of fur hat technologies um, and they are just getting started. You know, what would be your recommendations now, besides the con- t- the talking to you? But actually, you know, how should they, you know, get a successful business, uh, starting potentially building on Ferhat? Mm. What's the first step you take? Um, yeah, I mean, from a, I guess, uh, you know, my experience um, uh, should always try to start. I mean, be niche, like. Mm. What is what is it you know, hundred percent? I mean, I have knowledge about, I have, I have convictions, um, I've tried different things, and, and let's take a concrete example. I think, if you mm-hmm. may, um, let's say let's take the hairdresser example. Now, yeah. someone has a hairdresser saloon. They think, you know, I want to try out having fur hat robots, you know, in the store or in the saloon, and, and now they have, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps they have it to get the idea of what kind of haircut they want. I don't know. What do they do? You know, okay, now I have this idea. What's the next step? Yeah, Ferhat could be in a booth. Um, and now it's going to... I've had two beers, so maybe <laughs> okay. I can be creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the first uh, idea or advice would be take two beers. and Take two beers, <laughs> then get creative. <coughs> no, but again, you may not want to replace the, the person who welcomes you into the, the, the hairdresser, the hair saloon, because that hostess or that, that uh, hairdresser is, is useful, but rather use Ferhat as a, as a, as a cat, as a, as a an advisor, like, um, okay, you perhaps build even um, um, a recurring business around this because you keep coming to the same hairdresser because Ferhat gives you advice on, hey, you look good or maybe I like better the haircut you did last. Let me show you a picture of yours, uh, what we did last time. So maybe you can have a screen connected to it, um, have a discussion about beauty and perhaps you can augment that and provide, I don't know, makeup uh, that goes along with the haircut. But let's not go to the product too much. Uh, you're trying to solve the solution now, I think, for the hairdresser. But I'm thinking more, you know, you want to build Building a startup. The business. Yeah, the yeah. business side of it. Like They need yeah. to get some funding or they need to d- define the business idea. <coughs> they need to have the business plan or, you know, these kind of things. Um, yeah. 
So, I mean, maybe to think of what we do for, you know, if someone wants to use our product, what are we doing and what they should be doing yeah. in their business? So we say that we want to build a tech company, you know, the, the leading platform for people to build commercial applications for social robots in a way, you know, what Apple did for the iPhone, what Microsoft did for the PC. Mm. We want to do it for this new device. Right? So the so business model for Ferrat is basically to be <coughs> a platform for other ecosystems, build an ecosystem. Right. So really our success, we with our success is dependent on people actually ending up building businesses on top of robots, uh, finding commercial applications, scalable, obviously. Um, so we don't sell to consumers because obviously it's still very difficult for someone, an individual to invest, you know, the, the money even to get a robot and then, and so on. Uh, but we, what we're not good at is understanding very niche markets. You know, we're not a healthcare company. We're not an education company. Um, we're not a customer service company and, and so on. So instead we're like, okay, if, if you have something you're very good at, you're, you're, you have really understood like the supply chain in placing devices in airport mm -hmm. and you believe robots can transform that environment. Like you're the right person to build that company. Um, preferably you need to have a lot of financing to start. So we target today, we don't target entrepreneurs yet, but we target big innovation departments in, in large corporations right. because they would have the you know, enough muscle <coughs> and infrastructure in place to to take something to market. But so given mm -hmm. that point then, and this trying to, to stick to the startup idea mm -hmm. in the book as well, so you don't you know, directly support uh, a person that wants to start a startup. They have to find some other means to get the funding to do the initial scaling, so to speak, themselves. And I guess that comes back to your book then. And how should they really do that? Since, I mean, you're not an accelerator at Furhat, right? You have another solution and they need, then need to find another other solution. So what should they do? If, if I now have this idea, uh, who do I speak to? How, how do I, you know, how do I get, how do I get started? Yeah, we have, as Samir was saying, we have very few um, one-man partners. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we have some consultants here and there in different countries who, again, are specialized in their fields. So we have, uh, through a partner network, so we have some, some partners, um, say working in HR, um, they know the HR field. They think that Ferhat can uh, help in mental health, say, or in um, uh, coaching. So you take Ferhat and you have a conversation when it comes to, um, you know, talent development, let's say. If you are a first-time manager, how do you provide feedback to your employees? Maybe you need to train first on Ferhat uh, before... <laughs> You know, you're pitching for hat a lot here. I'm trying to get back to your book a bit here and, and just thinking, you know, if we could have some kind of best practices for what to do to get started and perhaps some uh, to get started as a company, from, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and perhaps some ex examples of what not to do. Um, if, you know, if they do this in this way, they perhaps will fail quickly. Mm. If you do it another way, it may be a, you know, a higher chance of succeeding. Yeah, what, what you should do as an entrepreneur, I guess, is... Um, yeah, don't get too attached to your first idea because it's mm. probably wrong. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's a very good, right? that's, a, that's an almost a t-shirt quote. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Then um, once you, I mean, you, you start with something, obviously you start with a set of assumptions, as Summer did when he started. Um, and then 
you pitch it and you see if it sticks, right? Um, if it sticks, perfect, keep going. And um, as you keep going, you'll find more use cases, uh, more interest, and, and you will widen the scope. And then eventually you'll, find, you'll have to find something that is uh, scalable, mm. something that you can, you know, actually dedicate a lot of time in and when you can see that whatever um, finance you invest in or others invest in uh, they get they need to get return on their money right so yeah. at some point you have to uh, niche yourself that's uh, where we started from i guess and i think if i don't uh, you know recalling correctly here yeah i think you wrote something about you know you need to pivot and pivot again or something right mm -hmm. is that what you mean that I shouldn't get too attached with the first idea, but be... Uh, yeah, you need to be nimble. You need to be agile. Um, you need to be fast. I guess uh, one of the Silicon Valley mantra. Fast, uh, move, uh, yeah. move fast and break things. Exactly. Well, you have to, right? Because you don't know, especially when you have something that is new. You don't know where it sticks uh, best. So you move fast. Like Now we're, we're taking... We believe that uh, commercial is going to... Uh, you know, it's the, it's the, it's going to open up, um, this year, next year. Mm -hmm. So we are putting, um, more, uh, you know, time and efforts and resources internally. So as to go towards commercial applications. So we are allocating, um, finances and, and, you know, recruiting people and doing that kind of things to, to make sure that we execute on our beliefs mm -hmm. based on where we are and what we've seen. Um, ultimately, I guess it comes down to the t-shirt. The it's like you have to do the work. <laughs> you can have great ideas and you can spend uh, forever doing, um, you know, analysis. And, and, and what do you mean with have to do the work? I, I have my thoughts when you say that, but what's your thoughts? You know, what do you really mean with you have to do the work or the work? The work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, all encapsulating, I guess. Uh, first... Um, nothing happens if you if you don't work at it yourself right i mean you have to if you are a leader in an organization you have to you know demonstrate it to others so you have to do the work yourself you have to show you have to lead you don't lead by having nice theories you lead by demonstrating uh, you know actual right. results so that's perhaps one way to interpret it um another one is that you you do have to yeah do the work i mean i go to the gym uh, or, you know, I practice some sports and you do have to put in the hours. Nothing is going to happen. I mean, there's the 10,000 hours rule. I think it's much beyond that. But I, I think this do the work. The way I connect with that quote is mm -hmm. that there's a difference between do the thinking mm -hmm. and do the work. So I, I, I know exactly how I can grow Daredux and I know exactly <coughs> how I should do things. And then uh, Goran slaps me last week, boom, boom, boom. Henrik, fuck off. You need to put four hours in and you do that uh, training and then you put it off and then you do the, and, and then you get it done and you get da, da, da. Do the work means going from uh, words to what do you need to do in order to have a webinar or a training or sell something? Do you think you're doing work when you are doing it, but you're not actually putting in it to paper? And I have another anecdote on the same topic, do the work. 
I am, um, I'm trying to get really good study habits going with my 15 year old, uh, son. Mm. And he's actually putting in w- time, but it's not doing the work. And he, this is his own work and it's affecting his grades. So, so I, I saw a quadrant. How do you learn? You can, uh, read, you can listen, you can view videos, but then you need to do, do it. it. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, and, and someone in math said, like, doesn't matter how much you read, you need to do the yeah. <laughs> hundred repetition exercises until it sticks. Yeah. That to me is do the work. Yes. Sure. I mean, I guess the whole concept of building a company, <clears throat> if you think of like un- being us being entrepreneurs, um, the, the core activity is creation. Like you're trying to build something that doesn't exist and that's not ideas. That's not uh, concepts and theory. That's really going, changing something, creating, creating, something, right? It's the act of creating, you're creating a company but a company is just a big thing of many, many little things that you build. Every little deal, every person you recruit, things that have tangible impact um, on the world. You're right? a, you have an academic background as well, and uh, and um, it would be fun to hear if you agree with this. You know, one thing if you define science as building knowledge, and then you define engineering of, uh, as building a product, something that you have use for and some users. Um, then I would say that both is necessary. You can't build a product unless you have the knowledge. So you need to build the knowledge. But if you don't build the product, you just have the knowledge is useless. So, um, but then the question is, you know, what should the balance be? And I think a lot of people perhaps spend too much time building the knowledge and not enough time building something that you can test. Yeah. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a big spectrum of things. There's like applied science and theoretical, you know, science where there are scientists who don't care if their science has, has any impact yeah. on the real world. Real it's just basic research. It's an intellectual it's ugly thing to have yeah. value for it, right? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, it's really you and your intellect going on a journey for 20, 30 years. And you're the only maybe person enjoying that process, <laughs> like-minded people. Uh, and then of course there is the you know, you take, you, you build, and you understand the world so that you can make something out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, the ultimate goal is not just understanding, but it's changing. Um, obviously I left academia to do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm more biased here. to that, yeah, uh, uh, end of the spectrum. Yeah. Really changing the world in some form, yeah. using the knowledge to, in something that changes, makes an impact. But, but actually uh, when it, when we come to do the work, I think there's another very profound, uh, learning here. So when we are in ideas and when we are thinking, sometimes we need to have really broad strokes to understand where we're going and we are start seeing it. But the crazy thing with doing is that you're typically down on the most granular level it is. So to have both the idea and be a person of ideas that can enjoy and that can master the nitty gritty stuff of, of coding an algorithm, uh, putting it together a, a database of prospects, the most, you know, whatever it is, it's like in the end you decompose and decompose and decompose and decompose and doing is about that level. 
In, in, and I can see this in, if we talk data and AI transformations in enterprise, we have fancy management consultants doing the PowerPoint jig and it's in the executive and looks beautiful. And everybody who knows what this is all about, know how many layers you need to decompose. Yeah. And the real battle is, you know what? We're gonna paint the Mona Lisa. It's a 5,000 piece puzzle and you need to place every piece one mm. by one. And that's sort of, that's doing. Mm. Paint, you know, envisioning Mona Lisa, yes. Doing it piece by piece. I don't know, I, I think this is, Sometimes I, I get lost in enterprises when the big strokes is sort of there. I don't know. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I forgot the uh, Edison uh, quote, but uh, it's like, uh, forgot the first part, but uh, without execution, it's just hallucination, right? I like that one. I heard that one before. That's yeah. awesome. You can have ideas all day long, but until they meet the real world, and uh, you can get feedback. Do, do you know where that quote comes from? I don't because I've used it. I stole it from someone. Right. Uh, and it goes like this. The idea, ideas without execution is hallucination. Uh, and that's and the person is. who told it to me, vision without execution is hallucination. That's right. Yeah, maybe that's vision right. or, or ideas. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I don't know where that comes from, but I love it. it I just have uh, to Google it. Attributed to Thomas Edison. It is Edison. Yes, so yeah. vision without execution is hallucination. So yeah. it says Thomas Edison. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm gonna. That, that's a that's a T-shirt. Yes, <laughs> it's an old T-shirt. Going to more philosophical kind of topics. Perhaps we should go there. Uh, yeah, so let's we do. We, we're already to do that as well. And uh, I, I love philosophy as well. And and uh, that basically means you speculate a lot. And what about quantum what mechanics? Yes. Well, well, that's can, heavy. Can, I think Summer needs a beer now. Tea <laughs> <laughs> is not doing that. <laughs> I, mean, if, I mean, hearing from you both, you know, what do you think about philosophy? I know that you, Samir, uh, like philosophy. Any thoughts on your side? Yeah, um, we're both addicted to, um, you know, Lex and, and uh, Dan Dennett and Sam Harris. And do you have all, some all favorite philosophers or topics of philosophical discussions? Uh, yeah, I've got my favorite. I got uh, stuck for, for many years on, uh, yeah, all the favorite, you know, um, determinism and uh -huh. uh, free will and all that stuff. I, I'm trying to figure out. Actually, that's what brought me to Furhat. Really? Yeah. In what way? Well, can we, can we build... Um, uh, consciousness in in a, in a robot? Can we build conscious AI? Um, can we? Are we not just robots ourselves? Mm -hmm. That's 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 how it started for me. I mean, that sounds like awesome topics. Is this basically your favorite topics as well, or what, do you have any? It's one of the favorite topics. <laughs> where we whenever we get some, some time off, you know, no, we we end up talking a little bit about about those things. It's an area that I maybe dug more deeper into in my early 20s. Mm. Spent a few years reading and digging, re going really down the rabbit so hole. Went <coughs> quite deep it. for a few years, yeah. Some specific philosopher or? I mean, at the time it was, it's funny, I was just still actually in Syria. So it was just the, the uh, kind of the digital world was starting to become available. So I, uh, I think uh, there was a, a show called The Four Horsemen. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, Richard Dawkins and 
Hutchins and Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett that started this. I would say well. I would say like the early the, the early version of um, group podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating. It's on YouTube. It's very old, like twenty year old. They would just sit around a table. So it's a politician, a moral philosopher, a biologist, and a and a Dan Dennett is more it's called a neuro philosopher. <clears throat> philosophy inspired by how the brain works and they would sit and have a glass of whiskey and like s- turn the the tape on and sit for like four hours that that's my our kind of podcast <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it's quite <laughs> interesting if you look at them the four horsemen um so they uh i started there and then i started reading their books and mm-hmm. you know that was my starting point uh, and then got more into like information theories around mm-hmm. pre- you know But uh, should, should we? So I'd love to get started at some point. Should we start with free will or something? Uh, if that's okay, do we so have a choice? Yeah, we have free will. That was boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's very meta there. I love it. That was meta. That was good. <laughs> okay, uh, Arnold, do we have free will as humans, or I guess robots do not, right? Uh, robots do not. Yes. No, and I don't okay, think we do either. Ooh, that's that's an interesting. Do you agree? <coughs> well, it depends I, what you yeah. mean by free will. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. About your exactly. definition of free will. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the most most common people ref- how they f- refer to free will. Yeah, definitely. There's no. Uh, <coughs> we're guided by the laws of the universe, by the physical world, mm-hmm. and so everything we do, that we think we're changing how things are going to unroll, is just an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let me start. Yeah, uh, okay. So <laughs> I do think that humans have free will. Um, I think <coughs> that fur-hat robots could also have it. it in the future. Uh, do not uh, at the current moment, but could easily have it mm-hmm. soon. I think, you know, to define it, I think we need to go to the definition of consciousness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just linger a bit on the free will topic um, before we go there. Mm-hmm. So... I guess you know you have to go to determinism to to really understand this question more. And and if I were to interpret you uh, mm-hmm. in your answer in humans not having free will means that the world is de- deterministic, right? Would you agree? Yes. Um, um, yeah, or at least not not undeterministic in a way that we have some sort of a we're in a driver's so, seat yes. driving the car. So it's the randomness, maybe, yeah. but it's quantum not mechanics under could still potentially, if you believe that's the model of the world, uh, be random, but it's not in our control anyway, right? Uh, okay, so but I would argue then, even if you can predict something, let's say you can predict the weather, mm-hmm. does the weather have free will? Um, I'm trying to. Okay, do you see what I mean here? So let's say that the weather. Um, The cloud is moving in this way. A butterfly in Japan is flapping his wings, causing the weather to move in a certain direction. And then the question is: Is the weather? Does the weather have agency? I would argue. You know, does the weather, in some way, have the choice to change how the weather should, should be? I, I would say probably not in this case because it doesn't have agency. It doesn't have consciousness. Mm. But as soon as soon as you have some kind of agency. Meaning that you can choose how you should play a, a pawn in a chess game or something. Mm. You do have agency. So if you think a human playing chess, and, and think in that level of abstraction, 
Would you say that each player playing chess as humans have free will in how they choose to play the game? If you just would you say still no that that two players, two humans playing chess, does not have free will in how to play it? Um, well, the the next move they'll make on the chessboard will be determined by the previous moves, right? So in a way, mm. um, they don't. I guess, but okay. So I see because what you're saying is they have free will, but they are reacting in relation to what's the optimal move to what he used it on the on, on the other side of the board, and therefore not free will. He's he's responding exactly. to the previous move. Exactly. I guess the issue is that, uh, and for me, uh, that has been the. the, the yeah, what I realized. I mean, we tend to come to to mix, uh, I guess, um, determinism with uh, undeterminism, right? Mm. It's either it's deterministic, as in uh, Newtonian uh, laws right. of physics, and according to which, um, if you rewind the universe uh, down to the Big Bang, uh, you could, um, uh, you know, play it again. Nothing would change. It would be exactly the same because the conditions were the same. Nothing had changed, mm. right? Uh, so that's deterministic. Um, what is um, uh, probabilistic then, this idea of, of um, uh, quantum mechanics where electron can be in different position here or there or in the superposition, um, is different than the clock w- clockwork of, of the universe. Mm. And both are true, Right. Um, the thing is that we, uh, uh, people at some point, we have to, um, yeah, we are not, uh, the brain is deterministic, right? The brain functions, as we just said, according to the laws of physics, yes. but we are not the brain. We are like a projection of the brain. And so we have this idea of making decisions, but that's only because we don't know the options that we have, but the brain has already decided, right? Yes and no, I would say, and, and it's a difficult topic, and we probably need one more beer here. But <laughs> one more beer or but two. But I, I would actually compare free will to feelings, and, and let me try to elaborate a bit here. Um, what does feeling mean? Feeling mean I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm angry, or whatnot. If you think really hard, you know what is ang- What does angry mean? It just means some kind of state of the brain in reality that can be, in an abstract way, defined as a feeling of being angry. <coughs> Does that mean that the feeling does not exist? Just because it can be defined as a state in the brain? I would argue not. I mean, just as you can say that the car, which is far less complicated than the brain, can potentially have a feeling of, oh, uh, it's cold today, uh, it's hard to get started, I'm feeling a bit tired. I think you can use the term feelings for cars as well, (coughs) and a complex system. So just because you can define a brain as having a certain state doesn't remove the usefulness and the meaning of the word feeling. You see what I mean? Yes. I would say the same about free will. So just because you can define the exact movements of the of the particles of the quants or or the atoms or what or the strings or whatever you would like to define doesn't mean that free will does not exist. It simply means that we as brain, if you look at the higher level of abstraction, still have the agency to choose 
um, what to do. So that means that um, even though it, there may be determinism or even quantum mechanics, I don't think that plays in at all to the question of free will, um, then it still means you have free will, even if it's there is determinism. I'm not sure if I explain myself <coughs> properly here, but do you see approximately where I'm going here? Or? Yeah, I mean, I guess, <coughs> yeah, perhaps it's a, there's two different things. One is um, more of an, you know, free will exists in terms of thinking how I perceive the world. I feel like I have free will. Yes, and it's a feeling. Yes, yeah. exactly. and I that kind of exper subjective experience is useful. Yes, because it gives me some sort of illusion that motivates me in life, yes. allows me to make decisions, have ambitions. But, but it's so a on. bit more than an illusion. I agree, it's a subjective kind of feeling, but it is also true in some level of abstraction that you do make a choice. You do choose how to move the chests. At least you have the experience of thinking you have the choice. Mm. Because it's very, it's gonna, it's gonna be very difficult to, to dissect that deeper. But <clears throat> I mean, just. But this is thinking. a really difficult di conversation because you really need to calibrate the abstraction layer. What level of abstraction and what frame are we talking from? Right. So if What's if you're talking from uh, the uh, my personal intellect and my whatever consciousness is, if you talk from Henrik. I can experience free will in this context. But then it's like if you take the meta, meta, meta <laughs> conversation on this. So in order to have a meaningful uh, conversation of this, we first need to calibrate, I, I argue, what abstraction are we talking about here? Otherwise, we are, we are, com we are, like, uh, we, we are not on the same planet in conversation. I, is that fair? Defining, defining what we're the talking term, about. Yeah, yeah so, you, so you, need, you know, what's the, what's the like point concept. of perspective to talk about free will? You know, you need to first define point of perspective, and then we can discuss and elaborate what is free will. Mm. Otherwise, mm. we are sort of actually maybe not even talking about the same thing. Mm. That's what I hear. I mean, I guess maybe a good way to to maybe agree here's here's a proposal is that <clears throat> if you observe something, some decision someone made, if you're able to reverse engineer that decision to you know down to something that is that goes beyond this person. So, like, if I can trace back every neuron firing in the brain and I know why that neuron fired and I can understand like, oh, there was this chemical and this chemical came from this place. And so I can really explain this without the need to bring some sort of a, a person in the picture. Yeah. So it's no dependency to some other person. To something that I can't really reverse engineer. I can reverse engineer this decision. I can understand exactly why this person moved this on the board. And I realize actually this person didn't even need to be conscious to move that piece because we could trace back this decision yeah. physically, chemically, mm. then maybe we could say, okay, we can maybe agree that, that there's, that's, no, that's a, there's free no free will. This, this no could be one way to argue. I, I would, let's add another one. Uh, let's say that I controlled Henrik completely. He couldn't make a choice you're, by himself. No, right? I'm not. <laughs> I think you manipulated me well that's, enough. That's what Rian yeah. is doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, is, this would be a definition of Henrik not having free will because he's being controlled by something else in some way, right? So he's being the controlled. The beer. The beer. The beer. 
I'm a, let's say he's playing chess now. Henrik is playing Heineken. chess and I, you know, I have some kind of electrode implanted in his brain and he wants to make this choice, but I'm forcing him to take another choice. Mm. I, I think we can all agree that Henrik would not have free will at that point. Right. Well, that's an but, extreme example, but that, that is clearly not free will. Yes, right. Well, he doesn't have a choice. Is that free? Yeah, free will or a choice? It's a choice. He doesn't have any options. Yeah. Right? Maybe yes or no. If if there is no options, then it doesn't matter if you have free will so because you have nothing to choose between, yeah, but right? In order for you not to have a free will, that means that you don't have any options. So therefore. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, he could have the option, but he, he can't act on it. I think, yes. Right. So he's helpless. Yeah. Well, let's say Henrik wants to move the pawn in that direction, and I'm forcing him to move the queen in another direction. Mm. Then he does have a choice, but he can act. He cannot act on it. He doesn't have agency, right? Yeah, but but he wouldn't know that he has he the choice because you're controlling him. So to him, it would still feel like he has free will. So but let's say I'm controlling a, his muscle, but not the brain, right. right? So I'm just controlling his limbs or, you know, he can think still. Mm -hmm. So he does have a choice in his mind, but he can't really move his arms. Yeah, but then he doesn't have agency. He still have, you know, a choice, but he can't act on it. Yeah, no, this is so hard because, <laughs> because I'm still... It hurts. It's so like I would so argue that he doesn't have free will unless he can act on it but 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 the, the classical yeah, argument in, in in you know from if if you if you believe in free will uh i'm i'm in a oppressed country they can take everything away from me but they can never oppress me in my mind free will okay mm. so that means you have oppressed me you have taken my physical thing but i hate what you're doing and you are the despot and and this is not free will i'm doing it against my will yeah. so it's still not free will so it, from this context free will could sit still I mean, like your example i could still have free will i argue if i if i go down that rhetoric mm. i mean what you hear from uh, dan dennett and others is like okay so w when you said that uh, the word this is deterministic so you basically excuse someone who's like a, like a murderer you say okay mm. This guy shot someone um, and then he goes to court and um, he says, well, but I do not have free will, so I didn't chose right. to do so. Um, and so the argument is that, okay, uh, but, but uh, you did have a choice because you know what would be the consequences. So the difference between a million years back and today is that although the physics has a, uh, hasn't changed, it's still the same, the laws of, the, of physics are still, you know, the ones that drives us today. We've built a society, we've developed, first we've developed our brains to such an extent that we can project the outcome of our decisions, which we could not before, right? So we've developed the cortex and so we can, we can project what will, will the, happen. What will happen. What will be the consequence if I shoot someone? Exactly. And based on that, you should decide whether it's a moral, good or not good thing to do. Because you know that if you go that path, um, there would be consequences. You may go to jail. Um, and that's where the free will or want comes in. Um, because you can project yourself in the future and it's at the societal level. So if you remove the constraints of society, I guess it would be mayhem. Mm. But because we live according to some uh, rules by which we should behave to exist as a community, we have to agree 
on the rules of the game. And so the game is don't go to jail, you know, uh, behave so as to not hurt someone. And so now that you know the rules of the game, you should act accordingly. And that's where free will comes in. But remove those constraints and probably it's back to... So, so it's interesting that... So even if we have consciousness and we have free will in making small decisions, if you, if you look at all the layers of the physical rules, societal rules, cultural rules, religious rules, and you, you can go on and on and on, your free will has a lot of walls to bounce against before it can break truly free. Mm. And that's why, you know, from from a, your point of view, uh, at least we can argue free will is true. Free will is limited. Yes, I mean, I think it. it I want to move to another, you know, talk topic about consciousness as well. But you won. But, Thank you. But <laughs> what to, do I get? <laughs> to, to just, you know, I, I think it's a matter of you know semantics here. You know, it depends on how you define what free will really is. In yes. one way, if you define it like you know. You, it should be some kind of way to control every atom or something, then I certainly agree there is no free will. But that means that the term free will have no use. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to even speak about free will if you define it in that way. So I, I would rather prefer to define that as a different thing, as some kind of subjective feeling that you have, that is that it, as long as no other agent around you controls me, then I have agency, therefore I have free will. I mean, if that is the way you define it, it at least is some use for that term. But 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 is this, if we're really honest, maybe we need to have a sense of free will to cope. Exactly. So the, because uh, as a thinking intelligent being, if you if you would put someone in a cage and say you can't move, you go bananas. So the mind needs to experience, you know, freedom. Yes. And then, and then, and then if, but if you really peel the onion on reality of all the different layers of constraints that we're living in, it's an illusion. But if we all, if we took away that illusion, it would probably not be good. I mean, like as, as, as an intelligent uh, species that would kill us. Mm. So, so, it's, so I think there is merit to what you're saying that we need to have free will and we need to feel free will, but we can also be really cynical and how free is free. Is yeah, that yeah, sort of, I mean, is that you, a compromise in this discussion a little bit? For sure. If you would not experience it as free will, which you do experience it as is, even though it's not true, then you would not wake up in the morning because why would you? Exactly. Why would you? Right? Why would you? It, it removes the meaning of life. Right? Exactly. It, it removes right. the meaning of life, right? So, so free will. It also, it also, I mean, accepting that there is no free will is one of the most beautiful things you can experience because you don't really need to... Uh, Take pity but, yourself for your troubles. But you don't uh, need to take responsibility no, of any action but, okay, either. So that's the, really it's, strange. It's right? scary because what you're saying now, you, you wouldn't go that far. But, <laughs> yes. but you lose the you pity. Went into another rabbit but you lose the pity. <laughs> but don't you also lose the drive? Um, so not not having not having free will doesn't mean that you shouldn't take advantage of your experience of free will because it's a very good experience if you. 
you have this thing that that you're experiencing. You have emotions, right? Okay, you can explain them in chemistry, but you can still enjoy being yeah. happy and yeah. right. So why wouldn't you do that? Mm. But um, so if I relate, if you were born in a poor country and you have very little, you know, you can't just say, "Well, you have free will; you can do whatever you want." We're like, no, I, you know, I had really very little to do with where I am in life, and this is all being predetermined, and you know. But and, but, but you can forgive. You can forgive people around. But you but how do you explain you? from Syria in a context where it's really tough, running a very super cool startup compared to some of your best friends or peers from school who doesn't. What, what, what was, what, what, isn't it a drive? Is it something that you did that you could sort of give free will as a, you had the free will and also then the determination to follow that path that put you in a different trajectory than Others. I think we're moving a bit uh, too far off the topic here. I'd love to have, cover some other topic if that's okay. Yeah. Metaphysics. Yeah, yeah. Metaphysics. Yeah. 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 What mm. if we can move to another topic? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, we take that off to after work. Nice. Yes. <laughs> um, Amar and and uh, Samir, an old sorry, uh, and Samir, what is missing today in Fahrenheit robot to make it conscious? I mean, it's, yeah, but again, what is conscious? So we are really, I also studied linguistics. So like words matter a lot to me Yes. because we might spend uh, an hour talking and then realize like, oh, we mean different things by conscious. Love it. Very Let's common. start there. Yeah. So this might be a big rabbit hole, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Try to keep if it. If we want to just go to Ferhat. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the short answer is we don't really know if Ferhat is conscious or not. Um, okay. I would say it's not, but okay. Yeah. To a high degree of... Because we haven't defined consciousness. No. Uh, if if you define it in some sort of a, a system, like this is the algorithm mm. that describes consciousness, then my guess is Farhad is conscious oh. against that algorithm. Because okay. we, we, we have tried... That would be my guess. Or if not Farhad, maybe a Tesla car would be... Or, That's, you know. that. I think a Tesla car, no doubt, Could actually. Be. But yeah. I, I would argue... But, but, not but we've had this... Case. I'm no, we had this conversation before. Let, yes. let me bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> But we, we, we have tested with a couple of guests. Can you define consciousness as general con- consciousness and maybe narrow consciousness on a, on a certain, in a certain context? And, and if you follow the argument of narrow consciousness, a Tesla car needs to be conscious for what it is supposed to do. Mm. Mm. Or, uh, or you need to act at least. But but here the, the, the semantics is key. The semantics right. is truly key here yeah. to sort I mean, that do out. We, do we maybe a question? Like, do we describe? Are we describing consciousness as a sub, the subjective experience of someone feeling conscious? Ah, is this one. is or is it more of a someone like the engineering? The, what is happening? The process. I think subjectivity is another thing. I would love to have a more objective thinking. You know, this is actually something that is conscious, or it is something that is not. But just to elaborate, because we haven't really described, you know, what we have spoken of before. Mm. Yes, please. So, you know, that means, you know, just as we have narrow AI and general AI, we can potentially. This is something we've invented here, uh, but we could potentially also speak about narrow consciousness and general consciousness. And then humans have a higher degree of general consciousness where we can perceive the world 
and mm-hmm. understand ourselves in that world to a high degree of generality. Whereas if you play uh, chess, for example, and you have a, a human or a computer looking at that chessboard, the only thing they can perceive then in their environment is the chessboard bo- chess and, and the and the, yeah mm. players, so to speak. Or what do you call it? The the queens and, and the, uh, the pawns the, the and pieces. the, uh, the, the pieces, pieces. The pieces Thank of you. the game. So the only thing they really have an awareness of is the pieces on the board. Mm-hmm. But that's some form of very, very narrow consciousness potentially because mm-hmm. you are aware of the surrounding. And and then potentially if you have free will, it can act. <laughs> it can also play chess potentially given that very, very narrow conscious awareness of the world it's living in. Would you agree so far? Is that consciousness no. uh, with just understanding the chessboard and the pieces on it? Yeah, I mean, yes. I guess it's um, in my head. It's <coughs> it's our ability to have a dialogue. Consciousness. Do you need to act to be able to be conscious? No, no. but so I think you need to simulate to reason, right? Yeah, to simulate uh, things in your head, like to say, okay, if I, and, and be able to have a dialogue with that simulation. So right. in, in, just in your internally, own, internally, yes. So, I mean, a lot of philosophers talk about the, that without ego or this voice in your head that you can negotiate with before you act, you have a simulation machine, right? Can, can imagine the future, can imagine what will happen if you move the chessboard, can and then you you can discuss things with it. Like yeah, you have the chatbot in your head with your ego. If that's kind of the experience of that's, that, a, that's a reasoning part, right? But, I, so, so, but I think it's back to semantics, as Samir said, because on the one hand side, I, I argue we can go down the sort of consciousness and the reasoning algorithm. And then this is at this is defining consciousness in in this neighborhood. And then you can go does that mean it's self-aware? Mm. And we, when we now define, you, you were going into the, what, what, what do we really mean with consciousness? Is consciousness about reasoning and understanding this? You can do all this without being self-aware. Mm. And, or, or do we bring it back to sort of the human experience of self-awareness? And, and the machine, this is a chess playing game could be self-aware of, of its own side, right? It knows it's But it's different to be, to be self-aware of, about the different options and playing out the simulation in his algorithm, what's happening. Does it know it exists on a meta level? I think that's a different, I'm not sure. Exists you can like do, in a universe? Or no, what? no, I'm, I'm, when we are, pro- what we are doing is, I think we are projecting human emotions on machines. Mm-hmm. And when we're using these words, right? So I think you are conscious in all its practical terminology and forms in order to play. I, I think uh, AlphaGo is conscious, period. Narrow consciousness, aware and can simulate and can discuss with its, the algorithm is analyzing with itself, what options do I have in this narrow space? But that's not the same as projecting human emotions that I understand and reason and have emotions. So, so do we put emotions into the mix? I mean, like this is when it gets really fluffy. I think. So but if, let's leave emotions. I think because that's so. If you stay there, I think we are we are there. I think we are there. Narrow consciousness exists. 
but yeah. it's 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 in the conversation and the semantics we we confuse this with human. We, we are projecting human uh, traits. I don't know. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm used. That, I mean, a lot of people say that like language is very key to the experience or to the rise of consciousness. That, but that's real world consciousness, right? Like Elon calls real world AI. There is potentially real world consciousness, and I think in that case you need to have a language that reason about the real world, right? But if you didn't, I mean, the discussion, the the argument around this is that <clears throat> if you didn't have language, you wouldn't be able to discuss with yourself. It's not about talking with other people, but it's but talking go, with your. Go to own. an example about AlphaGo. I mean, it's some form of language that is mm. using to just do reinforcement learning and trying out from the policy model it does have to take different actions, evaluate, you know, the position it gets. That's some form of language, even though it's very binary and very far from natural language. It's still some form of language, right? Yeah, there is a system or like a representation protocol. Yeah, yeah no, I agree in that definition of consciousness. You'd have all the components there in that machine. So narrow. <coughs> yeah. I mean, if you just look at OpenAI, it's, it's, uh, so you have the language part, right? We, yeah. it, it, it can produce as much as, as a human probably. Um, but is ChatGPT aware of itself? Uh, likely not, I guess. Mm. So that's the difference I between. I would argue no. Right. And, and I think that's the same thing with Farhat. So. Yeah, I would say no, actually. Uh, it, so, so what's okay? I can. I'm, I'm biting my tongue not to say my thinking about uh, ChatGPT here, but uh, yeah. I don't know, let's go uh, there. I think you need to have a map of your of the universe. You need to yes. understand uh, yes. the That's, universe. You know, now I know what I'm going now to we're say. Now we're going to the Andes <laughs> four laws of um, uh, general, general AI. AI. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all four of them, but I think what you are saying right now is basically you need to have a state of the world. ChatGPT does not. It's pre-trained from every you know piece of data it found you know from 2021 and, and before that, but it doesn't have a common state of the world. So every session you interact with it is created from scratch, and nothing is shared in some kind of common state. So it doesn't have some kind of state of the world that it updates continuously. If you take a, a chess game, it does update some kind of common state of these other pieces and this is how it's going. The same with the Tesla car. It has some kind of state of these. This is a position of myself in the lane. These are the pedestrians, the other cars and whatnot. It has a world state and AI models that it perceived with and reasoning capabilities. So it has uh, perception, mm-hmm. It has reasoning capabilities in a Tesla car in this case. It has a state of the world. Uh, it doesn't have the fourth part, which I'm missing for general AI, but I think these three parts at least give it the ability to have consciousness and free will in how to drive the car. But it doesn't have it, a goal, right? So you would say go, the, the car goes go there. Mm-hmm. It would not set the, the route itself. It, it can, bro. It can, right? You, you set the end goal. You set no, the it, end it goal. Can, if you just set, yeah, exactly. You set the end Use destination. It. Not the car itself. Yeah, but right. okay. So the goal then would be get to the end destination. It doesn't say how to go there. So it has free will to choose what should the route be to to end up with at this goal. Right. So you set the goal, yes, but it has the free will to choose how to uh, 
which is to... uh, algorithmic, which means that we don't. But humans have... are alg algorithmic as well. Exactly. So we don't have free will. I, I think we can have free will. <laughs> <coughs> algorithmic doesn't exclude. Uh, I wouldn't say it's exclusive free will. The def uh, yeah, yeah. Right. there's a definition of free will is algorithmic by yes. like it's exactly. it doesn't say that it, there's some sort of supernatural no. process happening no. so it's just changing right. the, really the definition of because i would say most people in society when you say you're free or they say i'm free i can do whatever i want they probably don't mean the, the way that we're meaning no. it here you, exactly. you mean it they mean yeah they're they're, they're truly free level. they can operate outside this universe Somehow they can break like the rules. Fly. Like they could fly. <laughs> like they could fly. Right. Or, or yeah. break the or, physics. Or the, the laws of nature yeah. control us in some way, right? right? So we are controlled by the laws of nature, but I'm not controlled by Hen I could be controlled by Henrik or by you or you, but not to 100% at least. And But I am controlled, at, I think at least, by the laws of nature to 100%. Hmm. And and in that case, it, I have some level of free degree. So perhaps it's narrow free degree. It's everything narrow, narrow free will. <laughs> <laughs> we, we use realize we have narrow consciousness, and reality we have narrow free will. Maybe you can connect that to business because business. Um, so in a sales situation, which we can all relate to, yeah. um, on depending on which side of the table you sit, if you are the sales guy, you will have your process, right? So you would drive your prospect according to your process. So it's very deterministic for you. Um, but for the recipient on the other side of the table, it may look like free will. So he may feel like he can decide to opt in or opt out. Mm -hmm. But you are mastering the process. You right. are in charge of it. And so you are driving that person to get to buy the car. Right. He doesn't know it yet. So it's a very narrow free will. And, and right. you're controlling the free will to get smaller and smaller. So you're controlling the the buyer, so to speak. Right. And, 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 and reality, we're, we're all in the game of a used salesman's car. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what the world is all about. I, mean, I think it's actually useful <laughs> thinking. And like narrow, actually, you can actually reduce the free will of people and machines if you control them <laughs> more and more, right? Yeah, a lot of the world works because we don't have free will. Mm. I mean, the world wouldn't really work if everyone was... If you couldn't predict group behavior, right? I mean, the simplest ever example is that most people that are truly very passionate believers in their religion, they simply have their parents' religion, but they still experience free will, maybe an elevated sense of like they really chose this because they studied it very deeply. I mean, if you, the advertising industry has mastered human psychology, so they get you to buy products and you, you know, think you buy pampers because you prefer pampers, but you have been because yeah, you're you're experiencing your free will that capitalism has given you. Exactly. But, but you know, you're watching a. And if you go, if you've ever talked with a, you know, that's why psychotherapists, I guess, have work is because they can <laughs> predict why you've done something and explain it to you. So you go to a psychotherapist and say, "Oh, I've, I've done this decision. I've got married. I bought a car. I said this to this person." And in retrospect, I don't really like it. Why? And then they can explain to you exactly. Like, oh, but they ask you a few questions and then they can go back to your childhood and it turns out that you didn't really have that much free will. It was your three-year-old self that has been in control. Right? Yeah. 
The time is flying away. I'd like to have a very, very brief last fin- uh, philosophical, <laughs> philosophical discussion or question, and, and then we end to the final questions, if that's okay. Um, so trying to answer uh, both of you as concisely as you can, are we living in a simulation or not? Yes, but (laughs) 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 concise, one that is created by your brain. So we, so the, the reality that you, that we experience is not the reality at the baseline, right? It's the, Ah, okay. everything you you see, everything you hear, the colors, whatever doesn't exist, just exist in your uh, game engine of, of your brain. So the simulation you create on the fly. Um, and you experience it as being you, having agency and having free will, where in fact it's just uh, your brain projecting you right. into the world so as to survive. Because end of the day, it's all about survival, um, uh, making sure that uh, you know the species propagate. And so it's you are just an interface to make sure that uh, human keep yeah. going forward. So I see what you mean, and, and I think uh, I can, we, you can agree that we are at least living in simulation in terms of we are only replaying the things that we can experience in, inside our brain. But then the bigger question, are we potentially living inside a bigger simulation that is controlled by some aliens or some kind of super intelligent being uh, like Matrix? Do you think that's true? Uh, I don't have evidence for it, so uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, there's this argument, uh, some Fermi paradox or whatever it's uh, called. The simulation argument, yeah, right? Nick Bookstrom. Exactly, that uh, obviously um, we can't be the, the only one, so there has to be other... Uh, oh, you mean the Fermi paradox, okay. Right. That's a different thing, okay. Um, and if that's the case, those guys have technology that we don't have and could technically create a simulation that would be us and they could be having fun just like we have fun on PlayStation. Uh, so we could be avatars in their world, um, maybe, but it's it's far fetched. I haven't seen um, summer uh, glitch <laughs> since I started. <laughs> yeah. <that round>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Samir, what do you think? Are we living in a simulation? <clears throat> I would say I'm agnostic mm-hmm. to it. I'm a very politically correct answer. I considered it. <laughs> that wasn't my goal, but <laughs> no, I have considered it, uh, of course. Uh, you have, you have, and 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 what? <coughs> how how? What's your reasoning? F- if we are not or not? How did you end up at agnostic? I mean, I, I think it's my my scientific brain thinks we're likely in a simulation, uh, and if not, then we are gonna create a world like us, our world that is going to be a simulation quite soon. Uh, so we could also be that, but you know, the question is then, can a world like this exist as a simulation with its full, with our full experience? And I likely, yes, quite soon, but uh, uh, my heart wants to say, no, we're not in a simulation. Well, and, 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 and okay, so for people who hasn't followed this um, philosophical question before, why would a scientific brain argue that most likely we're in a simulation? What, 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 there's a logical, yes. there's a very logical thread here. There's a logical right. path. There is a here. logical, yeah, it's the common, the common kind of explainer of this is that uh, 
if you look at computer graphics or our ability to simulate things in a computer game, things are progressing so fast that in a, such a short period of time um, that give us another t- few hundred years and our, our ability to simulate things in VR, for example, is going to be able to create experiences that will feel very true. And you might throw characters in this game that give them the abilities to sense, and you know, run this discussion around free will, there would be enough complexity in the system, and it's so well simulated, computer graphics, that those characters will experience, th- their world will be very, very similar to our world, and their sensor, sensory input will be very similar to ours, their brain will work very similar way. I mean, that ultimately will be the, the proof of free will and consciousness that we probably don't have it if we were able to build it. But and then the, it's it not going to take a long time to get And then there. the argument, are we already part of that game Why that someone we? else right. created? Mm. Yeah. Have you heard about Nick Boostram's three arguments for that we are living in sim- simulation? Yeah. I, can, I can just... Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's so, a good... Uh, yeah, so, so the three ones are, one, we kill ourselves be- before we become super intelligent. Mm. So basically the, the argument for being in a simulation means that it has to be some kind of super intelligent being that are simulating us, so we're living in their simulation. But if we actually kill ourselves in some kind of World War Three or nuclear disaster or whatnot, then we will never make it to that point because we're certainly not there yet, at least. So that's one reason. And then you can think about what is the probability that we will kill ourselves before we create uh, AGI or some kind of super intelligent being. That's one option. Second option is even if we have a super intelligent being, like a thousand years from now, um, and they are, you know, so, so extremely much more intelligent than any being or all of the human beings together, they will still never be interested in simulating us, the stupid mere humans, you know. It's like, why should we simulate ants Mm -hmm. that we see? I mean, we're not interested in ants. We can't learn anything from them. Why should they spend time building some kind of simulation of stupid beings like human beings when they are so much more intelligent? That's the second argument. The third argument is that we are living in a simulation. So then he argues, Nick Bostrom, that one of these three has to be true. Mm. And he tries to evaluate, you know, what is the probability for each of them? Uh, and he argues there are no other than these three arguments. Also, you can speak about that more, but this is what he argues. So, okay, will we kill ourselves? It, it, I would at least evaluate, I mean, we could kill a lot of people, even if we have, which we have a rather dangerous situation in the world right now, which mm. could lead to a nuclear war. We we'll probably not kill everyone, at least. Some people will hopefully survive, and some technology will hopefully survive, and, and, and that's a rather high probability, I would argue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's certainly less than 50%, and certainly less than 0.5%, I would say. So it's rather low percent that we would kill all of us in, in the coming 100 years or something before we get AGI. Okay, so that's a low probability. Um, second probability that even in a thousand years after we have uh, AGI or super intelligent, that no one would even think about, you know, some kind of school experiment or whatnot to run a small simulation. They 
all these kind of interesting ants or these kind of humans would be fun to simulate in some way and just have a super, super, you know, highly computational kind of environment where we are, you know, playing around in similar to the matrix or whatnot. It's kind of low probability that not single, you know, person in this kind of super world of abundance that they have, you know, how much money they want or they probably don't have money. But this will be a world of abundance. Someone would love to from, you know, some play with ants, have an ant farm. Anthropotic kind of, you know, reason play with it. Maybe it's just a kid in the, in one bedroom having yeah. playing yeah. SimCity. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. It's a game. It's Someone is playing a game. Someone right? is yeah. playing a game. So that means if both one and two are rather low probability, the only left argument is third. We must be living in a simulation. I think it's very strong rationale here that we are living in a simulation. Yeah, but uh, and then for me, who's not used to philosophical arguments or you know consequence chains it's just like you know you lost me at the first sentence <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it doesn't matter right i mean but if no, it, exactly. we, we're having That's fun a very good right? Point. right i actually choose not to think much about it either yeah. because even if we are living in simulation who cares i mean yes Still have fun here, right? Mm. And that's why this is a little bit like you chose to be agnostic. Mm, exactly. That's the bottom line. Since right? it's not so critical for my survival to yeah. build to or happiness. In, yeah. Mm. Yeah, actually you, you, you lose energy on something that you can't control anyway. It really doesn't change anything, I guess, no. in the world today no. if we are in a simulation. We're still gonna have our drive, our perception of free will and all of that. Exactly. You know what? Time is flying. Yes. I think it's uh, time to wrap this up. And we have a couple of uh, favorite last two questions that we always ask. First question to both of you. What, what's next in your lives? In business, privately, something sort of what's around the corner here? What are you working on? What are you doing? Should I start? start? Yeah. yeah, okay, sure. <clears throat> so uh, grow the business. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm, I'm here for. Uh, so yeah, we want to really make uh, Ferhat um, the first social robot out there in the world, um, you know, public facing in, in situations where, again, it augments uh, people, it adds value. Um, so for me personally, is uh, grow the business, it's what I'm being recruited for. Uh, so top line, sales, managing someone else's free will. <laughs> That's a great, great sales pitch. That's a good. <laughs> I'm going to control and do the, you. Do the work. Yes, do, do, the, do work. the work. Exactly. That's awesome. Sami, any cool things on, on the horizon that you want to share? I mean, yeah, always cool things, always adventures. Um, I am feeling pressure of mentioning Ferraro here. She was choosing one topic where what's next. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I feel like we're in a such, we're so lucky to be alive right now. It's such a, a great time to be alive that. So much uh, is happening. Yeah, and so many things that are at, at an acceleration phase that, you know, if we were just uh, born 20 years off, 30 years off, we would, we're gonna miss, miss a it. huge piece. Yeah, and the next 10 years are gonna be really. Is, right. Yeah, and I well mean, put. We don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, ten years ago, if we even as scientists that were in the in the center of the the, the eye of predict. the storm, we were we we're like in shock, right? So imagine what's going to happen in ten years. It's it's really 
exciting. So I keep a I keep a, a big door open to what the world is going to throw at us. Um, but Furhat is yeah at a very exciting phase. I think just robots in general. It brings us to conversations, you know, not only about building a robot, but really about society, philosophy, humans, and like today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just an opening opening the door for a big, big kind of set of questions that are, it's really interesting to spend our time figuring out. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone that you would recommend to this podcast, someone that you would like to listen to uh, that we have as a guest? Elon Musk. <laughs> we, we already tried that one. <laughs> uh, he's going to come for sure. That that um, would be awesome. But yeah, anyone more reasonable? <laughs> more reasonable. <laughs> well, not reasonable, but um, accessible. 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 Is a good word. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps someone from Sweden, because we want to have them live here. In true. Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit biased towards entrepreneurship. So a, a big, uh, you know, entrepreneur from which from whom we c- could learn um, would be nice. Um, of course, I haven't gone through all the episodes you you've had, so I'm not sure if you've had. Um, you know, you have some name. Uh, anyone you can think of? Well, what's hot uh, currently? Maybe I don't know. I'm gonna throw. Yeah, whatever. And ride, maybe. Mm-hmm. And ride. Yeah. Ein would be good. Yeah, that would be super cool. Mm-hmm. I, I think Ein is doing really cool things with AI and also changing, you know, autonomous driving and the transport ecosystem. So mm-hmm. there are the, the triple whammy of interesting yeah, angles very, yeah, for definitely. the startup. Good one. Thank you very much, Samir and Arnold, for coming to this. Uh, I hope you can stay on for a bit longer. Because Should we, we have say more goodbye to the robot? Yes, of, of course. course. Can we say maybe Ferhat wants to say something to wrap it up? Yeah. Yes, please. Thank you all for today. I really enjoyed listening to your deep discussions. If you want to know more about Ferhat, please visit us at www.fertrobotics.com. Have a great evening. Goodbye. <laughs> What a great ending. <clears throat> Thanks you. Thank you very much and looking forward to the after after work. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yes, absolutely. Great. It was fantastic. Thanks. <laughs>